Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, but we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Kids Comics. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello. Hi. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> that came from nowhere, didn't it? it? Did, that was did. very abrupt. Very yes. Three months after we last recorded an episode. Mm. Which hasn't been three months for you, lovely listener. Has it been three months? Yeah, yeah. The last one we did was in March. It's now nearly the beginning of June as we record this. So yeah, so it has been a considerable amount of time. Mm. So there you go, we went away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, today is a special episode. Is it? Yeah. It's Star Wars Dark Empire. Uh, uh, that kind of shot me load on the reveal, didn't it? Well, I usually shot you know? me load when you post them up on Facebook and that, and people go, oh, they're covering Dark Empire, I'll give a listen to that. Yeah. But then for the first half an hour or so, we act as though it's a big secret that we can't reveal yet. <laughs> yeah, when there's a picture of what we're covering right yeah. next to a description of what we're covering. It's kind of like when, when comic websites say, uh, Batman dies, bracket, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, do you know, I was actually thinking about this the other day when I was in the gym. We have only covered Star Wars on this show very, very minimally. Think about yeah. it. We did. We covered all three adaptations of the original movies way back when we first started. That's true. So that's back when you were still 15. I'm 20 now. Yeah. So Nearly 21. So I there finished you go. my first year of uni. Yeah, see. And then we, did, we talked about The Force Awakens. I have talked more about Star Wars and the Palace of Glittering Delights mm. in 50 episodes. Right. Then we have on this show in 270 ah, that's, that's all statistics. Is it? You see, three out of 300 shows okay. seems like a very small number. It's three out of 50 shows. That's, that's significantly... Exactly, so statistics change. Statistically speaking, it's still the surface where to podcast. I'm talking about Star Wars. Yeah. I thought that was Batman. Batman is probably the safest podcasting topic there yeah. is. The Lou Giaconetti theory, isn't it? That everyone has a Batman appreciation index of some level. Mm. Very few people actively can't stand Batman. That's true. Very few. Mm. You know, there are people like, Can't stand Superman's too powerful. Can't stand Spider-Man, he's too whiny. But everybody likes Batman. That's true. So, Alright, okay. Well, that's what we're doing tonight. We're doing Star Wars Dark Empire. Mm-hmm. You're back from uni, you finished your first year. What was your big takeaway from your first year as a, a university? What was your big takeaway as your first year alone? My first year alone? Away from the house. Oh, it was great. I hate being back. <laughs> bored already. No freedom. You're bored already? Yeah. You don't want to be back? I'd, I'd... <laughs> I already told you, didn't I, that I wanted to stay at uni as long as I could because I enjoy that freedom. And you had the entire house to yourself because everyone else buggered off weeks ago. There were a few people. Making, Very few making, making a mess out of my kitchen. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was it was grand. The course is a joke, but um, 
I hope none of my tutors listen to this. None of your tutors will listen to this, Joe. It's not like it's actually about what my, you're studying. My friends do. Do they? Yeah. Hello, Michael's friends. I'm his dad. He's not embarrassed by me. Oh, well. I'm not embarrassed by you anymore. Because <laughs> I stopped. I'm not embarrassed by me anymore. I think, I think, it, was a, I think it was a few years ago I stopped caring. <laughs> you just accepted that I'm not going to change. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I met Dana who is your new lady friend, and the first thing we talked about was okay. Nightwing. Now nah, nah, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> hey, anyone I can have a conversation about Nightwing about? Anyone who buys a comic book based purely on the awesome well, Brian Ballard ev- cover? Everyone loves Dick. Everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, which we, uh, so that's all you've got to say about your first year alone. Oh, I could, I could go very in-depth, but it would make for a very negative podcast. Would it? It, it would. So you missed us, did you? You missed your brother, you missed your sister, you missed the cats, you missed the, the whole ambiance of living in the Leyland household. I can't say. It's nice being back at Casa del Leyland, <laughs> I will admit. Me, Cassio, Esu, Cassio. Yeah, it's, it's very... I had a lot of room to breathe and now I have to hold my breath. Uh, rough having to, having to go back into that room. It's, it? it's, I'm trying to politely say I didn't miss you, but... Uh... <laughs> That's alright, dude, we didn't miss you. I, I, I completely uh, appreciate that. <laughs> Do you know my food bill yesterday was 30 quid more expensive? Yeah. Because you're home? Yeah. Damn you. Well, at uni I had, like, what, one microwavable meal a day, so I'm not that hard to feed. No, no, I've noticed that the gut that's developing is purely alcoholic-related. It's I, it got to a point where I couldn't even afford alcohol anymore. <laughs> not even cheap not stuff. Even. Yeah, I was drinking gin and double gin and tonic because it was the most amount of alcohol for the least amount of money. <laughs> And even some crappy cider. See, you know you're running low on money when you start putting maths into your <laughs> drinking. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't do cider. Do you know? Oh, I can't. Do you I like cider? cider? Oh, but you drink Guinness though. You drink old people I do, drink. I do. So I have certain drinks for certain. So if we're going out for like, uh, 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 if I know we're going to be there for a while, I will indulge myself in a Guinness. Okay. If I know we're only going there for a quick lunch or something, it's a pint of Coors Light. Right. And if we're going out for, you know, a piss-up, it's a double gin and tonic. Those are my drinks. You don't even do the whiskey. I can't. I, whiskey is my... You know how everyone has that one drink? Yeah, mine's Southern Comfort. Mine's whiskey. Your mum's is Southern Comfort as well. Mine is a Jack Daniels and Coke. Right. Okay, fair enough. I love Jack Daniels. Anyway, okay. So we've established that you didn't miss us. <laughs> You're happy to be aware. I missed, I missed our conversations more Did, uh, than I missed... No, they, oh god, I can't. <laughs> I sound like a bastard, however. You, you missed having conversations about comic books with your old man. Yeah, yeah, more than I missed my. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, well, fuck, we'll, we'll talk about some funny books well, then. Next week, next week uh, Adam guest stars on Hickey. <laughs> <laughs> we finally do that Futurama Simpsons crossover he's wanted to do for years. Uh, well, what funny book stuff has happened that is of interest since uh, you went away? Spoiler alert, we're going to discuss Captain America issue one, not the, the the Civil War. It just came out as we record this. I still haven't seen Civil War, actually. So, well, we need to go and watch Civil War. We'll, we'll sort that. Uh, the internet predictably lost their shit over the final page where it was revealed that he's a Hydra agent. Yes. And has been for some time. To which I do just want to say, it's a comic. They've had big last page reveals like that since time immemorial. Part one of the six parts. Yeah, it's, it's not, the story's not even unfolded yet. Now, I can understand people being, uh, you know, you kind of made Captain America a Nazi, but are you not even slightly intrigued by how that came about yeah. just on a pure story level? It's like, like alright, this costume is intriguing. The does look pants, though. 
Uh, well, I like the free comic book day, Captain America comic. See, he's missing the, the, the wings on his head. Yeah, that does look silly. It looks silly without the wings, it doesn't does. it? It does. I mean, it, it's always amusing to me that the things that people look silly, when you remove them from the costume to make them more realistic... Like, like red boots and... Yeah, yeah, the costume looks sillier. And it's like you realise that the design of these things... They're designed like that for a reason. Is the, for, yeah, it's, there's a reason behind it. Yeah. And so you remove the sillier aspects and they don't look as good. Are you removing silly aspects though, or are you just being overly harsh? Are you just being embarrassed by what you're doing? I suppose, but surely if you're embarrassed by bits in comics, you shouldn't be reading comics in the first place. Or working place. in comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, alright, so well, that was the Captain America news. <laughs> oh. I haven't actually read it, I just got it spoiled for me on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, same. DC Rebirth? Not actually read that. I've I read know. it. I know. I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I've not read it. I was looking forward to read it, but you've not. You've only bought it digitally. You can read mine. You can borrow my iPad or something. I, I refuse to support digital. Why? And motion comics. It's the future, Jerry. I've seen it. Can't stand digital. If, well, you were in Manchester yesterday, so it's Bruce Springsteen. You could have picked me up a copper. Instead of me paying overinflated eBay prices. Mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed DC Rebirth and more. It's absolutely uh, nothing new. Yeah, and. It's I, what they've been promising since Infinite Crisis. I've done several times. Flashpoint. And I, I am a bit cynical on the whole Watchmen thing. I don't care. No, I don't care, but I think. Because one of my friends asked me, oh, like, what do you think of them doing it? And I said, well, DC sales are low. Watchmen, 30 years on, maintains to be the most popular, most successful, and most. Influential um, a, a comic DCO and that they're not doing anything with. Yeah, because beyond Watchmen, or was it before Watchmen? Before Watchmen. Before Watchmen. That seemed to tank. It did, yeah. Which is a shame because apparently it's, it's not bad, some of it. But I, I, I don't care what they do with Watchmen, to be honest with you. I think if, if it gets under Alan Moore's skin. I'm... I've noticed some neat parallels to mm. Watchmen that are pretty cool. Like the death of Rorschach is the death of Pandora. Mm. Like. Because it's exactly the same panels, exactly the same layouts. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, well, so you've not read it, you've just seen spoiler pages? Pretty much. Uh, yeah, because I saw it on Bleeding Cool posted it saying, oh, there are leaks, uh, and so apparently there's an embargo, but Bleeding Cool aren't listed on one of those websites that has an embargo, so I'm going to leak it for you all, and then everyone else will leak it for you all because I'm so good and I'm Rich Johnson. <laughs> yeah, but... And I, there is a conspiracy theory that DC wanted it to get out there. Oh, because, yeah, well, again, doesn't that come back to Watchmen being a big thing, that if they leak that the Watchmen is now a part of it, it will sell more? Possibly. Because well, as soon as those leaks got out, before Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan yeah. skyrocketed. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, don't, I just know I enjoyed that comic. Maybe I'm just being overly cynical, I don't know. Very possibly. You're into your early 20s now. You're, you're into early cynicism. I don't feel... I felt, you know, my, my late teens, that was my cynical, moody phase, but I feel happy and content with the world now. Yeah, that's good. That's, you got them before <laughs> I did. That's nice. All right, okay. Shall we do some emails? Okay, do let's, let's talk some emails before we talk some proper comic books. Uh, we have had an email from CJ Standall who um, emailed in to say, I'm writing because I just published my first comic book, a noir drama titled Rebirth of the Gangster. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you could read it and review and or promote my Kickstarter. Well, I, I did email CJ back to say that at the moment we're working on quite the lead time for this. So, Return of the Gangster, the Kickstarter that was up there actually made its money. Right. And uh, therefore, you know, 
that's gone now, so there's nothing we can do about that. But um, the the rebirth or return of the gangs, rebirth of the gangster, apparently it's called, is available for buying on Amazon, and it's only two dollars nineteen on Kindle. So if uh, if that sounds like um, something interesting to you, then go and check it out. I said we'd mention it on the show because he asked for an interview, but we don't really do interviews on this year. I mean, occasionally I interview you. Okay, <laughs> that's what it feels like. Anyway, it feels like you interview me. But go, go and chill. So how, do, how do you feel knowing that your uh, taxes have been leaked to the world and you're not paying them? Oh well. Uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that your Boris impression? It wasn't, but I suppose it could be. It could very well be. Yeah. Zoinks and yeah. That. So anyway, CJ Standal Rebirth of the Gangster. Go and check that out uh, on Amazon because the Kickstarter is now gone. So he made his money. So that's nice, isn't it? Uh, proper email tonight. We've got a couple of proper emails. It's nice to get emails. Still get it emails. Is, it is. I, I read them at uni when I'm bored. Do you? When you're bored? Which, there have been a few times where I, I, I do want to read emails, but no one's emailed in, and then I'll sit there going, well, well, we, I, we, I don't know what to do now. I'll just look through some old emails that said very nice things about me. <laughs> does it make you feel better? It does, actually. Uh, okay. Even if it's a lie. Yeah. As long as I don't know it's a lie. <laughs> well, it, it, it was nice, because the thing with doing it the way we've been doing it, we've now got quite a couple of emails backlogged. Because yeah. a number of episodes have been released. It's great week. not being weekly, isn't so it? It's brilliant. And it, and <laughs> it just, and it just joy it's like gasm. John Williams's retirement in that he'll still do Star Wars, but he doesn't have to do anything else. No, it's, it's great. Yeah. So even over your holiday, we'll do one this week, one next week, and then we're having a week off. What? Because you're going away again, aren't you? Mm. And then we'll we'll do a couple more. We've got planned what we're going to do, so we'll we'll tease that out as we go along. First email is Ryan Daly, who hosts. Give me those Star Wars. Now, Ryan did not mention that in his email. Didn't. So I've had to remember to plug that's, Ryan's podcast off my own back. Very poor plugging. Game. It is. You know, Ryan, that plugging's just not good, dude. I've had to remember to plug your podcast, and I don't remember my podcast. Don't we do another podcast called Plugging 101? <laughs> there should be a podcast called Plugging 101. <laughs> I don't see it getting past one episode, though. <laughs> well, it's, uh, just, you know, it's just all about plugging your own show and yeah, self-promotion. Plugging 102 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> That would plug into <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Depends what you're plugging in. Oh. Is that the porn parody? That's the podcast <laughs> <have> porn parody. <laughs> porn parody. I think that's I, the next big thing. No, no it isn't. Because <laughs> father and son did. Oh, yeah. So let's not even okay. go there. See, I, I wasn't thinking that, and I'm a bit concerned you did. Uh, well, I, I, I remember the Supernatural episode where they're on about where Dean's being explained what oh, Slash is. right. And Dean's like, you do know we're brothers, right? He's a guitarist, isn't he? Yes. Anyway, Ryan's emails about Batman vs Superman. It's the film that will not die. It really won't. No matter really how die. much we actually want it to, it's done well enough at the box office. It's 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 not a flop by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a flop, but mm. well, it comes down to expectation, doesn't it? And I, I I honestly think Warner Brothers expected this movie to make a billion dollars. Yeah, the two most recognisable superheroes in the world, joined by Wonder Woman. Mm. I think they were expecting a billion dollars from it, and I, I just I, ultimately, to me, that just shows the dissatisfaction of the general audience. I mean, what do you think of that that conspiracy theory that Disney paid off loads of critics to say nasty things about it? I think that's a really butthurt defence. Yeah, okay, because all I can say on on that score is the people I've actually spoke to who saw the film, pretty sure Disney didn't pay them off. Yeah, no. When you start coming up with bits like that, that's a bit desperate mm. 
Yeah, okay. I mean, we can't prove it either way because, you know, that's the thing about conspiracy theories, isn't it? That uh, they can go either way. So, anyway, Ryan's email. You know, I could have sworn you two did a final episode not too long ago. Yeah, we did do that, didn't we? It was these are just epilogues, yeah, footnotes, yeah, yeah. if you will. Yeah, these are these are these are the unwanted sequels. <laughs> <laughs> Our TV movies. Yeah. These <laughs> Not are even the, that. We're straight to DVD. These now, are the I Planet think. of the Apes movies that they really shouldn't have made. <laughs> these are the Carry On films where St. <laughs> James is dead, Charles Hartry's dead, so nobody cools in him anymore. Mm. So that's what these are. We're carry on Hey Kids comics at this we're, point. We're carry on dead here. Yeah. yeah, we've got Jim Dale. Right. And that's all we've got left of the old crew because everyone else is dead. <laughs> uh, anyway, Ryan continues. I guess it shows how foolish I was to unsubscribe to a podcast when the host said that that was the MLC, Ryan. That was your mistake. <laughs> When a band says they're going off, then you know they're going to come back on anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, well, is, did this we, is our uncle. Did we or did we not in that last episode say we will be doing future specials? Granted, I didn't think that the first future special would only be two weeks later. It was only two weeks. Well, we went the lakes, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we did. And we, had a, we ended up with a three or four week lead time. So you'd been gone a month. Yeah. But as far as the lovely listening audience were concerned episodes were still coming out so you know anyway continues Ryan I loved hearing your review of Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice especially because I thought the movie was horrible I heard Trentus Magnus and John Wilson's reviews and all I can think of is we saw two different movies I heard two notes about your review first unlike you Andy I hated Perry White in this I couldn't understand why he didn't think Batman was a newsworthy story especially when he couldn't utter a single line of dialogue without tagging it with a commentary about journalism being a dying industry and how broke the Daily Planet is well I think the thing we need to establish there is I'm not in any way saying that um, Perry and indeed Lois was in any way written well mm. but I think that the actors did an exceptionally good job with what they had yeah well I'd argue that the performances were better than than the, the script yeah yeah. I think that across the board mm. I think everybody was giving it their all apart from Michael Cera not Michael Cera. <laughs> I think that's right. Oh, he's the other one, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Jesse Eisenberg's <laughs> the one that you think is Michael Cera, but right. isn't Michael Cera. <laughs> I can see how you get the two mixed up. I mean, they look like the exact same. They sound exactly the same as well. They do. Okay. Anyway, uh, Ryan continues. Um, second, Michael called the final battle boring. I agree, and I think I know why that is. There was no sense of urgency or danger when Doomsday came a-calling. The filmmakers overreacted to the very vocal complaints about the disaster porn that was Act 3 of Man of Steel. I, as much as anybody, felt sick at the wanton destruction during the Battle of Metropolis when buildings are crashing on top of people, innocent men, women and children are running through the dust and debris, screaming, crying and dying, all the while Superman is half a world away fighting a robot in the Indian Ocean. So Warner Brothers and Zack Snyder went out of their way to sequester the combatants in Buffy vs. Buffy? Buffy vs. Superman. I would watch Buffy vs. Superman. Batman vs Superman in an uninhabited part of Metropolis and or Gotham. No innocent bystanders caught in the crossfire of this rock'em sock'em throwdown. The problem is that's absolutely wrong for Superman Doomsday. The fight needs scale and above all it needs state. You need to see the buildings crashing on people when Doomsday comes to town. You need to see people running through the smoke, people hurt, people dying. And Superman needs to see that. That's why he chooses to make the ultimate sacrifice. There was no sense of urgency in the final battle, just three superheroes fighting a monster in a junkyard. The end fight in Man of Steel should have been the fight in this film. Anyway, great to hear both of you back again for a special episode. Ryan Daly. Oh, thank you, Ryan. I hope you're listening to this special episode and you haven't unsubscribed. 
Mm-hmm. On that note, Joss Whedon apparently was very interested in doing Batman Buffy. Okay. Uh, Dark Horse DC crossover, because Dark Horse on the right mm-hmm. to Buffy. Nobody at DC ever called him back. Okay. And I'm just sat there banging my head against the table going, What? <laughs> Joss Whedon is offering to write a Batman Buffy crossover. Yeah. And nobody at DC picks up the phone and says, Hey, Joss, do you want to do that comic? <laughs> you know, that's money on the table. I suppose. I think. And they could, Batman has done vampire stuff before. Yeah. Batman the Red Rain and yeah. Batman Dracula and there's any number of supernatural stories that um, Batman was in that Denny and Neil wrote. Mm. So anyway, I suppose Marvel could pick it up. Spider Man and Buffy versus Morbius. Spider Man and Buffy would would actually work really well. Mm. Joss Whedon's written both, I suppose. Yeah, but kinda. He didn't write Spider Man very much, but he didn't. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, to the extremists is our next email. It's from Chris Franklin. Hello, Leylands. Hmm, this sounds a bit of a mess. Tony's character arc in this is interesting. He's concerned about being involved in weapons manufacturing at the beginning, but quickly leaps to completely weaponizing his actual body by the end. And he's so okay with beheading someone, he plays soccer with his decapitated corpse. Oy vey. You guys clearly had a better story in mind than what Ellis gave us. I'm not a big fan of Iron Man 3, but I really need to reevaluate it, as my son Andrew's sense of utter betrayal at the Mandarin twist, sounds like a fruit drink, left a bad taste in my mouth as I had to console the poor kid on the car ride home and for the next week. Hey, he grew up on the DVDs of the 90s Iron Man 2, so to him the Mandarin is Iron Man's Joker, or Lex Luthor. I get it. Either way, given your coverage here, I have to say, Iron Man 3's handling of these subjects is far, far superior. And in fact, Stark has a much better arc with much better solution. It becomes less of a machine in that flick's story's end. His hoping Civil War is far removed from its source material as Iron Man 3 was, Chris. Well, it was, wasn't it? Oh, you've not seen it. Anyway, uh, next email, uh, Extremis and then some. So Extremis got some some interesting feedback, didn't it? G'day, Lylands! Because this email, I've not said who it's from. It's Undress. Undress Lariza. 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 What do you think? I'm not going to... I knew him as Manfred on Facebook. Yeah. Why do I have a different name on Facebook? It's so that the government can't trace you back. Is that what it is? Several names. Are you part of the Illuminata? And then who knows which one... I'm not allowed to confirm. (laughs) All I will say is drink Coke. Okay. Uh, just finished your episode on Extremis. Great stuff. I know Iron Man Volume 4, which began with Extremis, originally meant as an out-of-canon standalone, got off to a slow, decompressed, yet easily read start. But I promise you the decompression was thrown out of the window when the father-son duo of the Naufs took over after Ellis. They wrote what is arguably the most interesting and complex run on Iron Man in the 21st century. It began with the Execute programmer, then Civil War, and later the Naufs, and then Christius Gaze and Stuart Moore, continued on with the rebranded title Iron Man Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. They explored the Extremis virus in depth, Iron Man 3 definitely mind the Nauf's take, as well as Stark's relationship with Maya Hansen and Sal in the present day, Dum Dum Dugan and Maria Hill, Tony's moral ambiguity, the burden of leadership as concurrent head honcho of both SE and S.H.I.E.L.D., and it also gave us the greatest iteration of the Mandarin to date. It ran for a total of 35 issues plus one annual. Mrs. Rennie continued as Tony's PA running his company while Stark tried to run S.H.I.E.L.D., Mighty Avengers and the Avengers Initiative. Mrs. Arbogast came back during Fraction's run post-siege to help run the new Stark Resilient concern. I start reading Iron Man once Fraction went back to the Tony as alcoholic well during Fear itself. I found Fraction and his Marvel work to be like Bendis. Once he's got his fingers in too many titles, Iron Man, Thor and Fear itself, at the same time all of them suffer heavily. Anyway, I'll leave it here 
here. If you can find Iron Man Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. trays on the cheap, do pick them up. I promise you'll find them more interesting and fleshed out than the initial Ellis Glanov run. I'm looking forward to Captain America White. Cheerio, Andres. Uh, P.S. More Palace of Glittering Delight Spidey-centric episodes, please. Latest. You did quite a few of those, didn't you? Uh, I've got one left to do as we record this. Right. I've done all the lead it, Cora. And I've got one final episode of the last five lead it, Cora. Okay. And then I'm done. Is it room meter then, though? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to do Untold Tales of Spider Man. Okay. Because it dovetails. Very, very Spider Man heaven. And uh, well, I love Spider Man. Okay. Especially early Spider Man. It's never been better than that. Right. In your heart to heart, you know, when you actually yeah. look at this stuff objectively, it's never been better. Spider-Man has never been better than you. You you can do the top 50 best all-time Spider-Man stories and not leave the 60s. Fair enough. My I personally opinion. prefer Ramita over Ditko, though. <sighs> Just the era. Well, the, the Ramita era is the era that everyone thinks of. Because that's the college era and Gwen, yeah. Mary Jane. It's when it became Archie as a Plus superhero. It was when it was more refined. Yeah. I would argue Stan toned down Ditko's Peter's always quite miserable. Yeah. And made him a little bit more likeable and a little bit more self reflective mm. in the in the Lee Ramita stuff. But the Ramita stuff, yeah, it's it's the it's the core cast that everybody thinks of as being Spider Man. Yeah. Gwen and Flash and Harry and Murray Jane and Captain Stacy and Robbie Robertson and none none of them have been are in the Dick Cuffs. Well Gwen and Harry are, but you know, Murray Jane isn't, Captain Stacy isn't, Robbie Robertson isn't, so all of that. It's not present in the Ditko stuff. Not that that's a bad thing, it's just a different thing, isn't it? Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll plug a show, and we'll be right back. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime, never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is. A crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every Tuesday or so at www viewsfromthelongbox.com It was a dark time for Star Wars fandom. Following the release of the final Star Wars film, or what was once thought to be the final Star Wars film, 1983's Return of the Jedi, Star Wars started to fade from the consciousness of mainstream pop culture. 
Well, its creator George Lucas had produced a few more Star Wars-related projects, such as the Droids and Ewoks cartoon series, plus a couple of Ewoks TV movies. The saga that had spoken to audiences for nearly eight years looked like it was finally closing down. Like the Jedi, its fire was slowly dying out of the universe. Fans never really gave up hope, though. Starlog magazine had celebrated the 10th birthday of Star Wars' initial release with a poster that proclaimed the first 10 years. The original films now boasted that they were episodes 4, 5, and 6 of a greater story. And George Lucas himself had given many an interview over the years stating that Star Wars was either a 6, 9, or 12 film cycle, depending on what mood he was in. All of this pointed towards one thing. Star Wars wasn't dead, nearly dormant. Still, fans had to seek out new material. With the action figures becoming rarer, the only new item of note was a 3D Star Wars comic published by Blackthorn and a couple of role-playing games manufactured by West End Games. I must confess, not being a gamer, I never really paid attention to the role-playing games, nor was I aware of the 3D comics. It felt to me that Star Wars may be done. I say me here, because you weren't alive at this point. I was not. So Star Wars has never gone away, has it? Um, Came back in 97... With yeah. the re-releases of the original films. Well, it had gone away, and then Force Awakens came out. Oh, yeah, all right. So your Star Wars blacklist period. But even then, you had the Clone Wars series. Mm. But it was the. It was the, yeah. And the comics were the. Yes. In, in between the, the Marvel comic series dying so in So Star Wars as a franchise had never gone away. Had never gone away in your lifetime. But the films had. Yeah. But it was still... Yes. Yeah. All right, okay. But my first glimmer of hope that it hadn't gone away came from Marvel Comics. Long before the Disney purchase of Marvel, which saw the license return to that company after over 20 years at Dark Horse Comics, Marvel used to publish a comic called Marvel Age. This was essentially a puff piece, an advertising tool that readers could pick up that advertised Marvel product, as well as featuring interviews with creators and exclusive art previews. In late 1989, the company published Marvel Age Special Preview No. 1, promising to cover 1990's hottest comics. Despite not being mentioned on the cover, this issue featured a small advert and blurb for something called Star Wars Dark Empire. Advertised here as a limited series of three 64-page bookshelf issues, the blurb proclaimed this the sequel fans have been waiting for, and proceeded to outline in broad strokes the main plot of the story, with the added detail that Han and Leia were now married, and Luke was now a fully-fledged Jedi Knight. The book was promoted as being by the creative team of Tom Vitch and Cam Kennedy, who had recently completed the well-received Marvel series The Light and Darkness War. I became very excited for this. See, Marvel's Star Wars was my jam, baby. I'd grown up reading that original series with many excellent stories and adventures that fueled my kiddie imagination and also provided many additional adventures for my action figures. While Lucas never made figures of many of the characters that appeared in the comic series baffled me. The idea that Marvel were back-publishing Star Wars comics and that they would be set after Return of the Jedi was a mouth-watering prospect. And then, nothing happened. The book never came out. In those pre-internet days, we had no way of knowing what had happened, only what didn't happen. And what didn't happen was the book didn't materialise for sale. At least, not as a Marvel comic. The whys and wherefores are detailed over on an edition of Comic Book Urban Legends by Brian Cronin. In this edition from November 2007, Cronin asked Veach what happened. Veach said that he'd approached Lucasfilm on spec to pitch a new Star Wars comic series and that Lucas had agreed. Vetch then approached Archie Goodwin, who was then in charge of Marvel's epic line of comics. 
Goodwin had been one of the best writers of the original Star Wars comics and was very keen to have Marvel publish Star Wars again. There was a lot of resistance in the company, but Goodwin managed to wear them down and they agreed to publish the series. After Goodwin and Vich mapped out the series, Lucas approved it and all seemed a go. However, Goodwin, who was having some problems with Marvel, left Marvel to work at DC and Dark Empire was passed over to Margaret Clark to edit. With Goodwin out of the picture, the project was put on the back burner. I will point out here that neither Crony nor Veach mentions Clark, but her name is on the solicitations in the Marvel Age issue. Ms. Clark probably wasn't the person who got the project sidelined, but nevertheless, unhappy with Marvel's treatment, Veach suggested Lucasfilm talk to Dark Horse, who had recently had a lot of success with their licensed Aliens comics, and Lucasfilm quickly negotiated a deal. Somewhere along the line, the three-issue series became a six-issue series, now edited by Barbara Kiesel, who was appropriately named for working on a Star Wars project. It's baffling to me that Marvel would treat the property that saved its skin in the 70s so badly, but this did lead to a very successful relationship with Dark Horse, who premiered Dark Empire No. 1 in December of 1991. I snapped this up when I saw it, but remember being quite disappointed by it. Let's see if time's been kind, should we? Uh, all six issues had covers by Dave Dorman and all evoke the movie posters while still capturing the intent of the story. As with a lot of Star Wars comics material, if you are familiar with it, then you can spot the photo references, and it's no different here. On issue one, Luke is a still from Return of the Jedi, Han and Chewie from Star Wars, etc., etc. Luke isn't wearing the black glove on his right hand, implying he got it fixed after the events of the last film. The image of Leia is really off compared to the rest, and Dorman must have noticed, as the cover to the Dark Horse Classic range has a redrawn Princess Leia, so it looks a lot better. There's also a cover without Leia on it at all. Right, okay. So somebody saw that and thought, that doesn't look like Carrie Fisher, and uh, brushed it out. The likenesses are, are pretty good. The likenesses are very good on Dave Dorman's cover. Doesn't Dave Dorman end up doing lots of novel covers? Probably. Isn't that what Dave Dorman ended up doing? Because the likenesses in, of the, in the covers are, are actually much better than inside. Oh, the likenesses inside start off strong and then... Yeah, and, and then and then go... Oh, so the first one's... Um, that's a Return of the Jedi movie poster. It is, yeah. issue number one. Atats collapse in the background, 3 pure r are always cool. Atats are always cool. Yeah. There's, there's never no cool on Atats. Uh, issue number two is the World Destroyer, the World Engine from Man of Steel. It is, yeah. It is, I can't know what it looks like. Luke's dressed in Darth Vader's clothes. Yes. It's, it's, it's a good cover. Mm. I like the use it's, of light. It's, across. it's not the best. It's not the best, no. Issue 3, Luke, looking a lot like Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Has to be said. Appears as a ghostly force ghost. Leia goes, ah! And there are Star Destroyers and TIE Fighters behind. Mm. Again, it's alright, isn't it? Yeah. Number 4 is a good one. They all have, like, a, a, a pillar in the middle. They're all split into threes. Yeah. Which... There's something wrong with that? No, it's just... It's an interesting image. Because sometimes it's nothing, it's just, you know, say that one's a beam of orange in the middle. Yeah, in the, on the first one, but in the second one it's the hang the bare doors opening to reveal the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. In the background. As with, Han uh, and Sarah Michelle Gellar as Princess Leia. It does look like Sarah Michelle Gellar. Before Sarah Michelle Gellar was Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. I mean, she was Sarah Michelle Gellar, obviously, but mm -hmm. she wasn't known to... I'll shut up, yeah. But yeah, that does look like Sarah Michelle Gellar. So that's a really good cover. I like that the Bounty Hunters, Boba Fett, IG-88 and Dengar yes. are in pursuit. 
That's a very. I like that one. I think that may be favourite one. Mm. If Han Solo was more facing us instead of in profile, yeah, I think that'd be a better cover. Uh, issue number five, um, Palpatine, it's a, a naked Doc Savage with a lightsaber. It is a naked Doc Savage with, or a naked um, Ivan Drago. Yeah, isn't it? It's actually Palpatine as a young man, as a fifteen-year-old boy, because he clones himself, doesn't he? Is he fifteen? I don't think he's 15, 15 or 16, something like that. With lots of clone stuff in the background. Millennium Falcon, though. Yeah. And some uh, some probe droids. And issue number six is back to being a movie poster. Luke Skywalker fights the younger body of Palpatine. Princess Leia is in the background holding a green lightsaber, which is quite interesting. Stuff blows up. She's holding it's a Luke's Wars. lightsaber. Is that, looks like it. is that Luke's lightsaber? All right, I don't remember. And 3PO and R2 are still from Return of the Jedi. Uh, You've got to recognise a lot of this stuff. I got the Luke one on cover one because it's a more obvious one yeah it, well it's quite a popular picture of Luke that isn't it from, uh, but that's clearly the Star Wars poster yeah. Han and Leia Han and Chewie um, what do you think then of the covers yeah yeah they're all good yeah they all do the job don't they mm. well, uh, let's see you've got to remember at this time that this came out which was what did I say 1990 something 1991 uh, painted covers were still quite raw right so to actually have painted movie style covers at this point was a relative novelty yeah. Nowadays, not so much. I think they were doing it with Aliens. Right. Which had, which had come out as a black and white series. Um, and, oh, God, was that 1990? They kind of make them look a bit more expensive or yeah. more. You, you know what I mean? They give them a. Yeah, it, it, and, and the fact that this is quite a glossy package. Yeah. Like the cover is, is card. And they don't have an advert on the back. And they don't have. They just have a long time ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. I like that. Um, the book, the main book, and then the text pieces, and then it's the adverts. Yeah, adverts don't break the story up. That, that's it is. It's a very impressive package, which always makes you feel a bit icky when I first apply. But it's a very impressive looking book. Yes, from a Dark well Horse. presented book. Yes, well presented book. Um, very influential on how Quasada would start marketing Marvel. Right when he took over, do you know what I'm saying? Done arc, I can't remember. I mean, until we get to now where everyone's cover is the same paper stock as the interior. Yes. Which is crap. The DC have stopped doing that with some of the better titles. Yeah. Good, good, good. good. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, book one is called Destiny of a Jedi. We begin appropriately enough with an opening crawl, setting up the galaxy post Jedi. The Rebel Alliance have managed to create a new republic over three fourths of the galaxy, but the remnants of the Empire fought back, and once again a brutal civil war erupted within the Empire as tiny factions fought each other for power. The new republic uses this against the Empire, planning strategic raids in old Imperial Star Destroyers to conduct hit and run attacks. However, one such raid ended in disaster as Luke and Lando crashed on an Imperial City battleground. It's up to Han, Leia, Chewbacca and the droids to pull Luke's fat out of the fire. What did you think of the opening crawl? Um, it's, it's, it's good, I guess. It's, it's, it's not got that opening line like The Force Awakens has. Luke yeah. Skywalker has disappeared. Well, I just thought it was a recap of a previous miniseries they've done. No, this this was uh, just bringing you up to speed on what's been occurring since, in, since Return of the Jedi. It doesn't really do that, does it? No. It's kind of just bringing you up to speed on what's happened in the last day. Yeah. <laughs> before this story took place. I, I, I like how it pretty much says, like, the rebels have essentially done a bit of terrorism now. Yeah, well, it, it, isn't the whole point of this story to just revert back to the status quo of rebels versus empire? Yeah. The entire story is just basically negating the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Which you kind of have to do if you want to carry the story on. That's true. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, The Force Awakens did that. But I, I know we criticise Marvel Comics for how they've done the opening crawl. Mm. You know, you've got a big double-page spread just saying Star Wars, and they, but it does... It, it, despite taking up three pages of your comic, it still has a bigger impact than that one does. I don't... Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I kind of resent paying that much money for a comic that just has the Star Wars logo <laughs> over two pages. Because it is Star Wars, so when you watch the movies, you expect the... Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, yeah. and you get that in the Marvel comics yeah. that doesn't give you that kind of thing no you, you do own this and, and fully at least a Star Wars yellow logo at the top of page one yeah would have been would have been good and maybe it? yellow writing yeah instead they save the yellow writing for the girish design for the text pages yeah yeah. All right. Okay. Fair enough. That's fine. Um, right. Uh, one of the things that I noticed when we did Extremis and and whatever else we did, well, we're Hulk, right? Wasn't it? That by we we were splitting up the conversation, which was actually getting quite good to talk about another synopsis. Okay. So we're going to try something different. Right. I am going to synopsis the entire story. Okay. Right off the bat. Are you? Yeah. And we've done this uh, with this, and we're going to do it when we cover Superman Kryptonite. The Darwin Cook thing. Okay. So we're going to give this a go and see how this plays. A bit of experimentation. A bit of well, you know, got to shake it up every now and again, aren't you? I suppose. Yeah, it's stagnant otherwise, so you've got to keep it going. Anyway, um, so you can go and have a drink if you want. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Han and Leia pilot the Falcon and find Luke and Lando. Lando wants off this planet ASAP, but Luke tells them that an ancient evil is stirring and it's Luke's destiny to investigate. As the Falcon leaves, Luke is swept up in the coming storm. It turns out that the Emperor lives again. Using the technology of cloning that Palpatine seized from a Jedi named Ashkat Boda, the Emperor was able to transport his Dark Force energy into a clone body he had already created on the planet Bis at the moment of his death. The body's never lasted long due to the imperfections in the cloning process, but his resurrection is always assured as more cloned bodies are being made. Elsewhere, at a rebel meeting, Admiral Akbar tells the assembled masses all about the world's devastators. These weapons, more powerful than the Death Star, because of course they are, destroy worlds from the sky, grinding up the landscape and leaving the worlds barren. These devastators are attacking Mon Calamari, and Akbar believes the Alliance should help. Lando and Wedge Antilles lead the rebel forces in a fierce but fruitless attempt to save Mon Calamari. Meanwhile, Luke is tempted to the dark side by the new clone of Palpatine. He believes he can defeat Palpatine by learning the secrets of the dark side. The Emperor wants Luke to take Darth Vader's place, feeling he can push Luke further and further down the path towards the dark side. Leia senses this, and rather than helping with the battle on Mon Calamari, she convinces Han to aid her in helping save Luke rather than in another foolhardy rebellion battle. Han and Leia, along with Chewie and 3PO, head towards Narshada, a smuggler's moon orbiting the Hut homeworld. There they meet up with Shug Ninx, an old friend, and Zala Zend, an old girlfriend, with a view to renting a starship that can journey to the deep galactic core without arousing suspicion. Whilst waiting for the ship, the Starlight Intruder, Leia happens upon a former Jedi, Avima Daboda, who gives Leia a mysterious box which turns out to be a lightsaber which triggers a force vision of Luke commanding Imperial forces. Han and Leia are unaware that Leia killing Jabba has resulted in a large bounty on both their heads. This in turn attracts the attention of Boba Fett, because of course it does, Boba Fett. Not so dead as we were led to believe, Fett tries to kill Han and Leia but they manage to elude him when Fett accidentally shoots a hut and Han and Leia steal the floater. They reunite with the Falcon attached to the Starlight Intruder and hyperspace to the galactic core with Fett in hot pursuit. 
The Battle of Mon Calamari takes a turn for the better for the Rebels when the E-Wing fighters arrive, but Lando isn't convinced that it's going to be that easy. It very much looked to him like the World Devastator self-destructed. Han and co arrive at Biss and are allowed through the shield generators which cut back in before Fett can follow. The Force leads them to Lord Skywalker and Leia tries to free him from Palpatine's thrall. Leia is no match for Palpatine however and now both Skywalkers are in his control. Believing Leia to be more powerful than even Luke, Palpatine shows Leia the Jedi holocron he has. He reveals that he is dying, but another clone body awaits him. However, even this is unnecessary. He can enter other bodies should he wish. Even the baby, now growing in Leia's belly. Leia shoves the Emperor to the floor and steals the holocron. On the bridge of Palpatine's command ship, Luke disguises his actions and gives R2 back to Leia. But now, with Palpatine's control codes and battle plans programmed into R2's memory banks, Luke also tells Leia that her latent force ability, along with his, has allowed him to wrest himself back from the dark side and his plan can proceed. Shug Nix manages to free Han and Chewie thanks to a reprogrammed Imperial Hunter killer probe droid and Luke and Leia arrive and Luke tells Han that if he succeeds in what he's doing, the Empire will be finished forever. The Falcon blasts off from Biss, avoiding the shield generator, and once again the plans in R2-D2 will provide salvation for the Rebellion. Luke then visits the Emperor in his clone chamber, with a view to preventing the bodily transition. As the Emperor begins his transition from one body to another, Luke destroys all the other clones but one, and a fierce lightsaber battle takes place. A battle from which Palpatine emerges victorious. Holding his lightsaber at Luke's neck, he tells him he wants his holocron back, and he wants Leia's unborn child. Then the rebellion will be crushed in one swift stroke. R2 is plugged into the Falcon and the Devastators not only cease to function, but also start to obey R2's commands and attack each other. This is a great victory for the Rebels, but Palpatine isn't finished yet. The Deep Core planets have become inviolable fortresses and the Imperial Army have sworn allegiance to Palpatine. From this vantage point he plans to attack all the Core worlds and then spread outwards. Leia takes this time to view the Holocron, which gives her a cryptic warning of the future. Before she can ponder further, the Emperor's new Star Destroyer, a vessel far larger than any other, appears. Palpatine only wants the Holocron and Leia. Leia agrees to go, but only to rescue Luke. Luke has journeyed too far into the dark side, in his quest to truly know his father, and he has started down a path that has consumed his will and will dominate his destiny. Leia doesn't believe that this is true and appeals to Luke, that the child she will have will not be of the dark side, but the first of a new breed of Jedi. Luke tries to defeat the Emperor in a duel, and although the Emperor initially succumbs to Luke's blade, he summons a force storm so powerful it starts eating up the fleet. Luke and Leia enter a meditative state, joining their power together and using the light they manage to defeat the Emperor by submerging the dark side so much Palpatine can no longer control the dark forces he has mustered. As his Star Destroyer is engulfed in the Force Storm, Leia and Luke flee in a shuttle. As Luke and Leia watch the Emperor's flagship dissipate into the void, Luke feels that the Jedi Knights will rise again. What do you think? No, it was, it was fun. Did you even listen? I didn't, no. <laughs> Oh, there's not going to be a test, is there? There is not going to be a test, no. Did you actually read the story? I knew there was... Yeah, I can't well, I, well, I, I covered the story. Yeah, you did, yeah. So, yeah, you already read that. Anyway. All right, uh, the story opens. The Falcons navigating a debris field. And C-3PO quotes the odds. Nobody needs John Williams when I'm here, dude. 3PO quotes the odds. There is a fine line when writing Star Wars between homage and repetition. Yeah. Isn't there? 
and I think that sometimes they go a little bit too far the wrong way. Yeah. You know, especially when Han's turning around and, and saying stuff like, no, tell me the odds, which he doesn't actually say. Mm. So, fair player to them. I did quite like this opening. It, I like it, it did opening. have quite the sense of urgency right from the get-go. Yeah, well, it's, it's the Star Wars trope, isn't it, of opening the story as far along as you can, which yeah. the Phantom Menace forgot to do. Mm. But every other film has started with... Not all Star Wars films open up with a ship flying over the camera. As a rule, so one would have thought the best shot for this would have been the splash page. The Falcon zooming in over the camera. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been cool. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? But instead, that's page two, which is a shame. Uh, the wreckage of the ships, visually, Cam Kennedy's art in this is, is brilliant. This all seems to very much prefigure The Force Awakens. Yeah. Doesn't it? With wrecked ships everywhere and remnants of battles, which we hadn't really seen before The Force Awakens showed crash TIE fighters and stuff. No, but as soon as we saw that trailer, that changed. Yeah, they a lot. started appearing everywhere. Yeah. Didn't um, it's a lovely splash page. It is, yeah. I really like the splash page. Kennedy's got a good grasp of tech in the Star Wars universe. The colouring, though, is god awful. Mm, I, I hated it. Quite like. Really? I th- yeah. Because it's quite... The story itself is a dark tone. It is. And essentially the artwork is heavy shadows of yeah. bloody watercolours, which I thought, despite not being the best water, you know, best colouring job, mm-hmm. reflected the tone of the book. So I, I quite liked it. Ah, I didn't like the colouring at all. I didn't like it in 91. I don't like it now. Star Wars isn't a muted colour palette. No, I suppose, but this is quite a dark story. It tonally. I, yeah, it is. I don't disagree with and you. I kind of expect this from Dark Horse Comics as well. I would I would not want this in a Marvel Comics Star Wars story, but it's a Dark Horse, dark-toned So with the story. exact same creative team telling pretty much the exact same story that they would have done, mm. would you, do you think Marvel would not have published it with this same colour scheme? I think it suits Dark Horse, an independent company, more than it suits Marvel. All right. I, I like that they've... they've the, you have two splash pages of the Falcon zooming through the wreckage. Yeah. I thought, so that's, they and were they my favourite They have bits. the page count to justify it as well. Yeah, they do. They have enough to be able to, to play around with stuff like that. Uh, Han does make the point that they shouldn't be risking life and limb like this with the Falcon and two frigates just to rescue Luke and Lando. And he's berated for that, but he's right. They are. The Rebels are an army, after all. Yeah. yeah. They're risking the life. I mean, I suppose you can... Because they argue. do lose one frigate. How many people were on How that? How many people were on that frigate, yeah? Just to rescue two people. Yeah. Now, I suppose you can argue, well, Luke's a Jedi, and he's the last of the Jedi, so he's kind of a big deal. But... Come with me, big deal. But so's Leia. Yeah, but do you not kind of... You know, he's a Jedi. He's more powerful than all of the Rebels, so he can sort himself out. Yeah, and um, and the fact that he does bugger off anyway, <laughs> yeah, and gets himself into more trouble. Yeah, as the story goes along, are Luke and Lando worth the lives of everybody on that frigate that blew up? I think um, is the question that because you need to ask the yourself. two main characters, yes, but <laughs> whereas the frigate's full of red shirts, yeah, but in in-universe military perspective, no, no. You're and right. if I was Mon Mothma, if Luke decided to just dilly daddle off and go go speak to some old bloke about his dad. I'd kick him off the Rebels. <laughs> well, maybe Luke doesn't, Luke's, Luke doesn't seem overly bothered about that here. He's Luke a, seems far of, more fascinated with the Jedi. That's Yeah, but he's, he's still part of the Rebel Alliance. He is. That's, that's very He's true. a maverick handing in his badge because he works outside the law. <laughs> Talk to me, Goose. <laughs> um, 
Is this planet Coruscant? I thought it was. It says that it's the Imperial Centre. Yeah. So we assume that to be Coruscant. And Coruscant is a thing, because it is named in the text pieces. Yes. Well, Coruscant was named in Timothy Zahn's Earth of the Empire novel. Right. Which my understanding is came out just before this. Hmm. But there's a little bit of a backstory to this that I'll get into later on. Right. So it's like, was it too late to reflect the name of the planet in the story itself? But they had time to put it in the text pieces. Right. So Timothy's arm named Coruscant. Okay. And then George Lucas just went, all right, well, we've already named it. So, I'll so Lucas got elements from the, for the film. From the EU, from yeah. The, and we've decided to get rid of the EU. Yeah. Despite having more of a behind-the-scenes importance. Yeah. So Lucas did use elements of the EU when he was doing the prequels. Right, okay. So, you know, I'm pretty... There's a Jedi. God, I can't remember the exact story. There is a Jedi. Is it Aayla Secura? Yeah. Who is only in the films because she's on the cover of a comic book and Lucas liked the design. Yeah. So the, e- the well, EU was... the Clone Wars. The EU was as fed Star Wars so as Star Wars as a franchise, EU. Star Wars is a communal pool where people put ideas and then take out from them. Yeah, George Lucas was happy to, to take ideas from anywhere. Yeah. Because that's, what, you know, part of a good creative person. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. I'll use that in my universe. Um, I think the, the most interesting part of this, the, the big two-page splash... I'm pretty sure that two-page splash of the At-Ats there and the Falcon zooming around, I'm sure that was the first piece of promo art we saw for this. Right. But I, I can't remember it if that was... It kind of evokes Terminator a bit to me. Yeah, there is a there is a feeling of Terminator. That's always been my favourite part about Star Wars. I went off it a bit because, as I'll say later on, the whole hocus-pocus forcey thing yeah. really turns me off. You're when it's, in Star Wars. When it's handled so hocus-pokery. But the war bits has always been one of the coolest bits about Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, Luke going up against an Atat Walker and bringing it down with the Force is really cool. Mm. And again, this is something they've just done this in a Marvel Darth Vader issue. Yeah. Vader brought down a troop or a fleet or whatever just on his own. Mm. So, it, again, you know, it's it's did they need to completely can all of the EU? Could they not have, you know, cherry picked a bit? Well, we'll, we'll, I think we'll get into that more. So that's a cool panel. Yeah, the, the Attack Walker falling is brilliant. Attacks are just cool, though. Yes, Attacks uh, are very cool. You can't say that enough. They're just. <laughs> Even though they're, they're completely impractical. Oh, yeah, but impractability should never get in the way of does it look cool. No, no, well, no, not in something like Star Wars. Star Wars isn't science fiction. It's science like fantasy. Yeah, I think that's something people forget. Star Trek is science fiction. Yes. Star Wars is science fantasy. I but, mean, arguably, not a lot of science. Space but, fantasy. But probably surely argue. it could be fiction anyway, since fiction isn't true. Yeah. So, but, yeah, but you're right. Atats, atats are always cute. Um, I actually thought the most interesting part of the books, and I know you're going to disagree with this, I thought that at the end of each chapter, there's a series of text pages that detail the events in between Jedi and now. And it's, it's in these text pages we learn this is six years after Jedi. Yeah. That's not in the story itself. No. And we're certainly not in the first issue. I think it may get some play later on. Uh, it was originally supposed to take place much earlier. Right. But oh, but Timothy Zahn threw a hissy fit. Okay. About having to include references to the comic in his novel. So there was a slight bit of pretension going on. A little bit, yeah. So this is why the children that Leia already has in Earth of the Empire right. are only mentioned in this but never seen. Yeah, because that did kind of bother me a bit. Yeah. It's... 
because one, one of our criticisms about The Force Awakens is that we're shown an awful lot that we're expected to care about and yet there's not enough backstory. Mm. But that's a valid argument about this as well. Yeah. We don't care that Han and Leia are married and have kids because it's just... Because it's just told to us. Yeah. Yeah, if you've not read Earth of the Empire, you don't know about their other two children. Now, they're off being hidden away... So you, you could easily rewrite bits of this to make it fit in with The Force Awakens if Leia is pregnant here Especially with Ben. Yeah, at the end, yeah. Because there's there's no real mention of the other two kids at all. Apart from that, they're just on the order, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So, you know, you could get rid of that and still make this fit. Yeah. But the only reason that she then has three children is because this was already underway where she was pregnant. So the novels then had to reflect right. that she had three kids. Okay. So they did end up feeding each other, even though Timothy's arm wasn't too happy to, to reference it to it. There's a misprint twice in this series as well. In the first issue, the pages are out of order. So these text I pages... I think so, because the top bit on that yeah, one... Yeah, you should... That, those two are the wrong way around. Right. So you should really read page one, page three, page two, and then page four. Okay. I presume they fixed that in the trade paperback. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that for a fact, I don't have the trade paperback. In issue six on the text page, they cock up the printing so that the background colour is the same colour as the headings. Right. So that page doesn't have any subheadings. Yeah. Because they cock up, and they make it really difficult to read with yellow on pink. So there's a couple the of... text pages. The I like the text no, I pages. just mean yellow on purple. Oh, yeah, the actual um, preparation. Yeah, what's wrong with, with white on black? The, the very <laughs> last minute. They're also it's very garish when you, you consider that the rest of the comic has that very muted palette. Yeah. To have pink on yellow or whatever. That seems a bit silly to me, but, yeah, whatever. Um, so book two... It's a very fast read, this, isn't it? Like, they are. I think we should mention that as so, well. They're a bit dense, but it takes longer to read the text pages than the actual comic. Yeah, the text pages give it a weight that it wouldn't necessarily have if it didn't. I've, so I've read Dark Empire 2 straight after reading this, right. and you just blitz through Dark Empire 2. Yeah. It, doesn't have any, it doesn't even have any letters pages right. in Dark Empire 2. So it is like the code about this package. Yeah. And well, this maybe, was the first one, I suppose. Yeah, and then maybe by the time they got to the second, they were a bit more blasé about it. Um, book two is called Devastator of Worlds. It's here that it's revealed that Palpatine has cloned himself. What he's been up to for six years isn't actually explained in the main story, but you are, again, told in the text pages what he's been doing for the past six years. Right. He's been basically perfecting his cloning yeah, technique yeah. to try and get his body so they don't come out and are a bit degenerate. But also, he's been like, all right, let's see if they can cope without me. If the rebellion win, maybe it's the natural order of things that the rebellion should win. But that doesn't work. Yeah, well, he actually says in this story, you've had six years, dude. Well... And you've still cocked it up, so... Right. So, the, the, they've essentially swapped places now and the Empire are rebels. Yeah. And they have rebel, rebels within themselves. They are fighting each other. Those who still follow the Empire way and those who have given up. Yeah. Right? So, but they've got all these new fighters mm. and all these world destroyers, which, if they're more powerful than the Death Star, must have been very expensive and taken a lot of time to build. Well, it's back to the Force Awakens quest, isn't it? Who's funding this? Yeah. And I know you don't want to put, like, realism into it, but if they don't have a leader, 
where are they, they getting the money yeah. from and where are they getting the organisation from well isn't it not implied that various moths yeah, it's, have taken over yeah because they did say that several people fought against each other which explains the civil war yeah that the empire turned against itself yeah trying to get somebody to become a leader then unless you have like because in the Marvel series the mm. empire need funding so Darth Vader goes to Jabba the Hutt yeah and yet that's not even nothing like that is acknowledged within this they just have all this cool stuff because it looks cool maybe Palpatine was just phenomenally well fed or maybe Palpatine was funding them from behind the scenes yeah that's possible yeah he's just credits would just appear but then it says he's cloning thing he was looking at clones throughout his life yeah and that backed up by the films with the Camino and all that stuff mm. I mean but Camino's never mentioned in no, this it's obviously not, yeah um, Camino, I guess, was a, a rewriting of it, or well, see, you can kind of dance around the raindrop, raindrop, raindrops, raindrops, and still make this work within the prequel continuity, yeah. which is what I'm on about. That this story could still stand but, even with the Force Awakens. But then, if Palpatine knew that he was going to just relive, wake up in some other body. Mm. Surely he wouldn't care whether or not... Luke, I suppose he did kind of tell Luke to kill him. But he just wouldn't be... It's like, yeah, strike me oh, down. And so why did he live in that gnarly old body for as long as he did then? Well, and even in this, he's in his gnarly old body because you have to recognise him. But if he went straight into another clone hmm. and he looks very young at the end when he goes into that other body, why does he still look all old in this instead of looking younger? Yeah, it's only when he gets in the, the proper younger body. Yeah. So like, but then it gets even more... Well, it does say that the body then ages rapidly. Suppose. So he has to keep jumping clone bodies. But it's only six years, I guess. But it depends how long the body lasts. They yeah, don't seem to... They mustn't last that long. Well, they're only clones as well, so you could argue that they take faster to hmm. deteriorate than But I like... That does play into in Revenge of the Sith. What is it that ages him and makes him all gnarly? Yeah. The Force. Yeah. And his, his argument here is the dark side energies age the body quicker. Hmm. So it's stronger, but it's more of a price to pay. Yeah, so... But then, once you learn that he uses the Force to go from body to body, it doesn't have to be cloned, it's whoever he wants. Yeah, that, I thought that was a bit... That's So then, the Emperor is the biggest threat in the universe yeah. if he is a literal god. Yeah, once he can quantum leap into any body he chooses. Yeah. And then, so in that case, why didn't he leap into Luke Skywalker, or anyone... Why does he need all these clone bodies? Leap into someone, Mon Mothma, and destroy the Rebel Alliance from, from the within. Inside. Yeah, and then once he's done that, quantum leap into someone else. Yeah, it, 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 I didn't he's get the, that twist. Once you introduce that he's a being that can jump from bodies, he's the biggest threat in the universe, mm. and that should have been more of a thing. Because at no point can you kill him. Yeah, if he can, if it doesn't matter what body he can inhabit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that twist at the end that he can leap into any body that he wants, not just a clone body. Mm. Was a bit. I mean, I don't think it's as easy as he can just leap from body to body. Yeah. It does seem to take some elements of concentration in the transitional period. Mm. But yes, yeah, the argument is still there. He doesn't need the clone bodies. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the clone bodies gives him an Achilles heel, which he kind of need mm. to be able to defeat him. Otherwise, he's super powerful. I mean, I liked that the text pieces were were not just background information. They're actually important to the narrative of the story. Because we only find out what the world devastators do in the text pages. Yeah. In the actual story, they're just destroying this and that. And but to me, that's a bit of a problem. Really? Yeah. You shouldn't... I suppose 
it's you can tell a story and then have supplementary supplementary material. Yeah. But then you shouldn't be filling in the gaps in your story with a text piece. But do you there th- shouldn't be gaps in your do story. Do you think that's what he was doing? Do you think he was filling in the gaps? Could you have read this without reading the text pieces and the story would have still held up? You don't need to know exactly what it is no, the world you, devastators are doing. You don't, but then why bother with them anyway? Well, the name's the world devastator. It's the world end yeah. from Man of Steel. Yeah. You can see what it does. So why bother with the text pages then? Because the text page just gives it a little bit more weight. It gives it a little bit more credence. Yeah, and I, so I understand that, and I am being a bit too cynical because they're not as important to me as they were at the time, I guess. Well, I like, well let's see, that's the thing that we talked about this earlier on, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, all the information in this is... Has been contradicted is or... Is either irrelevant, yeah. unnecessary, or contradicted. Whereas when I bought this, this was the first proper Star Wars material we'd had in years. Yeah. And this was Post it. Jedi. Yeah. yeah. We'd had Earth of the Empire the year before. and I think the year before, or just a couple of months before. And then this... Mm. So all of this background stuff was great. It's, oh, what's been going on since Return of the Jedi? So, I mean, you can argue that Return of the Jedi was the end. Yeah. And to carry the story on, you need to undo that ending. But the Force, the Force Awakens had to do that. I suppose, yeah. So it's it's following that. But I, I really like these text pages. I didn't think they were just additions. I thought they were, they were adding some extra meat to the, the plate that was the, the meal that you were eating. Yeah. They were they were I don't know, they were the vegetables <laughs> with your with whatever it was that you you'd ordered. <laughs> okay. You know. So I I liked it. I mean you sometimes you don't like vegetables. So you just leave them <laughs> off to one side. And if you do that you can still enjoy the meal. You can still enjoy the story. Right, okay. Nothing this is what I'm saying. That's the the best is that the best comparison metaphor I've ever yeah, done? Yeah. yeah, it's it's like nothing in the text pages is necessary to the story, but so, it yeah. adds texture so, to it. The, the the Jedi junkie woman who gives Leia Vima the Boda. yeah, which is a hilarious name. <laughs> in the text piece, it said, "Oh, but Leia will be seeing more of her in the future." When? Yeah. At what point? In Indian Target Part Two. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we are starting to see the limits, though, of carrying Star Wars on post-Return of the Jedi. Um, this is very early into what would become the expanded universe. Jedi killed off the two main bad guys. Mm. Arguably the two best bad guys in cinema history. So where do you go from there? Mm. And it seems like Vich's answer to this question was to resurrect the old bad guys instead of creating new, which is what Earth of the Empire did. Right. With, um, I can't remember his name, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Okay. Was the bad guy? Oh, he's mentioned in this, isn't he? Yeah, he does get a mention. Uh, in this version, the Empire are touring themselves apart with infighting, and the galaxy's in chaos, which plays into Revenge of the Sith. When Palpatine tells Anakin about Darth Plagueis craving immortality, mm. and then you've got Palpatine doing the same thing. Yeah. Which... And well, you consider this was written plenty before the prequels. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are contradictory moments, but you can well, make them. You can make it fair. Is it contradictory or is it a parallel? Yeah, the Darth Plagueis, the Wise, which is a good bit in Revenge of the Sith. Not it, from a Jedi. Into a bit of a meme recently. But is it? Oh, uh, I've not seen that because memes yeah. bug me. <laughs> but yeah, because um, Palpatine was the one who killed off Plagueis. Yes, with his search for immortality, and then. Ironically, he was killed by his own student. 
<laughs> Darth Plagueis could stave off death in others, but not in himself. Tragic, really. <laughs> it's best bit. I love that bit in the film. You okay. know where Ian McDermott gets to do some acting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where George Lucas must have been taking the day off. Because uh, George Lucas was an extra on this <laughs> Yeah, and because <laughs> there was no Watts in there as well. There was no CG to be fiddled around with. Actually, there wasn't that scene. Oh, yeah, it's the, the, the opera, isn't no, it? No, well, not only that, but... He, uh, once you notice it, it's unnoticeable. George Lucas plays around with actors' faces, mm-hmm. and that scene is a prime example of when it goes wrong what? because Hayden Christensen's face distorts very clearly and visibly. Why is he fiddling around with faces? Don't know. Mm, okay. I'll, I'll show you. Yes. Um, once you know, you'll never be able to. I'll see never it. be able to not see it, and you will ruin Revenge of the Sith for me, which I quite like. I really like Revenge of the Sith. I really like Revenge of the Sith. Anyway, Palpatine's reasoning is is quite sound. The rebels have had six years, as we've discussed, to do something, and it's worse than ever. Mm. So his reason for coming back at this point is really quite good. Mom Mothma, as well, is so in love with recreating the Republic, she never considers that the Jedi were an important part of the Republic. And therefore, without the Jedi, the New Republic cannot stand. But the Jedi weren't part of the Republic. Were they? The old Republic was, was yeah, the Jedi were the protectors of peace in the old Republic. Oh, right, pre Yeah. Pre so Mon Mothma is so intent on getting the universe back to what it was. Mm. She's in her own way she's just as inflexible because she's not really realizing that the galaxy has changed. But the flip side of that was this the the world the universe would have been better if there were no Jedi. Well the Jedi the one who cock everything up. Yes. Well, they didn't know that because the prequels <laughs> haven't written yet. I suppose. So, from Mon Mothma's point of view, she's trying to recreate a bygone era that doesn't exist anymore. But is overlooking what. But is overlooking it. what made it work when it did work. Yeah. And so, Palpatine's reasoning is quite justified from a certain point of view. Palpatine did nothing wrong. Yeah, he he brought balance to the universe. Yeah. You can say what you want about the Empire, but <laughs> you know the shuttles ran on time. <laughs> <laughs> People had jobs. Yeah, I suppose there are no late trains in Japan, so <laughs> you know people criticise the dictatorship, but but you know the emperor proves <laughs> that it could work. So the emperor is proof that dictatorship is necessary. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure what I think about well, this. Uh, maybe maybe not necessary, <laughs> but uh, a free galaxy is a bigger see, cock up than it was under the empire. I suppose, yeah. Isn't it? So, you don't know. So that's your, that's your question, is it? Is freedom chaos? Oh, I suppose the uh, Sunday Sunday hangings brought the society <laughs> together. And the gladiatorial fights. I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, give the public what they want. Um, I feel like this bit where um, they're all watching, oh, and these are the new new planet destroyers. Mm-hmm. But this is a feed right now of what's happening in Mon Calarami, General Akbar's homeworld. Let's sit and watch. This is a live <laughs> feed of people dying. Let's watch these powerful things. Gladiatorial fights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did seem a bit odd that they just watched all this I, mean, I know they go back later, but... It's, we're watching a live feed of people dying, Admiral Akbar. This is your home world. Oh, I'm just going to watch a bit more. How cool are these Empire's new uh, death machines? Well, and speaking of that, I mean, we talked about how cool the tech is in issue one, and it's still cool in, in issue two. But four complete splash pages of the world devastators. That's pushing it a bit, isn't it? Oh, but it is It is cool. Oh, it's totally cool. And is it one of those things as well? This was back in 1991, so you hadn't 
we haven't really got bored of this yet. Yeah. We haven't really got bored of a story that was specifically written for six issues and therefore could take its time with the pacing. Mm. And even with that, I would it's, argue the pace in this story is off. Yeah, but they do have uh, a larger page count than usual comics, don't they? Yes, they do. They do have um, an unusually long page count. As well, well, I do recall this being an episode of The Clone Wars as well. Oh, uh, yeah, a, I think There's you're a right. planet destroyer on Mon Calarami, and Kit Fisto does a bit of swimming and yeah. blows one up. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there you go, the EU. Kit Fisted, the best Jedi in uh, the Kit Empire Fisted. Rebels. Kit Fisto is my <laughs> favourite of the Jedi. Yeah, but his name's not Kit Fisted. <laughs> no, that's the Palm Parody again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Palm Parodies are showing up an awful lot. Yeah, I used to have a Kit Fisto action figure. I you did? Nan sat in it and his head broke off. Oh, so basically, basically, my nan was order 66. Yeah. <laughs> my nan wiped out entire phalanxes of Jedi by sitting on them. Yeah. <laughs> or by them just strangely disappearing. Yeah, that's what happens for a couple of my t-shirts that I'd swear in on, but we won't mention that. Uh, I do like that some of, the, some of the moments in this story are really effective. I mean, I can do that and keep calling my young apprentice. It gets a bit boring. But... I do like when he says to Luke, I will live on in your body. Uh, the Emperor's quite chilling in places. Yeah, but there were several moments that is my problem with Star Wars, mm. done by people who aren't George Lucas, mm. is that for a long time, up until I rewatched them all before Force Awakens, I got really turned off by Star Wars. Just not interesting. That's because the Force can be handled quite... Like stage magic, yeah, or like poorly written religion, mm. and there are some moments in this where he's a bit stiff and silly, like Jedi brother and sister and Jedi princess, and oh, this this portal of dark energy and. But again, you've a, got to remember essentially the phrase "dark magician" as well. Like he's that... got a hat and a rabbit. <laughs> like he's Harry Potter. Yeah, meet meet Darth Nibbles. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there were Jedi magicians <laughs> playing in dingy cantinas? Why not, yeah? <laughs> and people would be going, you're a Jedi, that's cheating, that's not magic. And you, the Jedi would be going, what do you think, what do you think the Force is? A, a down and out Jedi working in Mos Eisley. <laughs> <Yeah>. That <laughs> should magician. be another film, That actually. should totally be one of the Star Wars stories. If, if we're doing, you know, let's not tell the Death Star plans or a young Han Solo. Let's tell the story about... A Darth Nibbles, the Moss Eisley stage magician. <laughs> and you know we would go and watch it. Kicks off the council, his wife left him. Well, they're not allowed to marry. So. Yeah, I suppose. Well, that's why he got kicked off the council, that's I suppose. why he got kicked off the council. So he's not got any money coming in. So, so, so he has to do the only he's, thing he he's, can His wife left him for uh, Obi-Wan. The, the spaceport worker. I like the idea that Obi-Wan's just this serial womanizer. Because <laughs> he's like, well, you're not allowed to get married. So. <laughs> well, it's it's the attachment that they're against, isn't it? <laughs> Obi-Wan has an attachment, does he? Well, do, do you know why Jedi aren't allowed to send emails? Why? Because attachments lead to the dark. Oh, that's just absolutely terrible. Moving on to issue number three. Uh, there's a brilliant action beat at the beginning of issue three. Issue three is called The Battle for Mon Calamari. Uh, the first time this really felt like a proper Star Wars right. action beat. I mean, we've had a couple of good scenes, a couple of good moments, like the bringing down of the, the Atta and stuff, but this was a proper Star Wars battle. Yeah. Which we didn't really get in The Force Awakens. All the battles were in Atmos, weren't they? 
Yeah, there was yeah. no there was no space battles in the Force Awakens. Uh, the Star Destroyers are really impressive starships, and that's a brilliant angle on it on page yeah. four of issue three. The rebels being in charge of them gives it a different feel mm. to in the films, where these were the Empire's vessels. So the rebels were the underdogs against the Empire. Yeah, or is this that they've about? got the better tech yeah, that... until the world devastators yeah, comes yeah. along? Because they have to one-up. Yeah, basically. Kennedy's really good at drawing the starships. I, I honestly think the reason this is as fondly remembered as it is is due to the artwork. Because mm. I really do like this opening this opening gambit. And um, the, the, again, you know, how many times do the Empire have to be defeated by X-Wing fighters? Because they're still here saying, those X-Wing fighters are nothing but antiques. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, antiques that have beat you again and again. That's an, a problem with carrying it on, isn't it? Yes. Because they, they've introduced all these cool new ships and they're all better than the last ones. But, well, X-Wings and TIE fighters are iconic for a reason. Yeah. So, you know. so this this one introduces well, E-wing fighters. Yeah, and it just felt like everything had to one up the last thing. Like, oh, these new ships are better than the X-wings. These planet destroyers are better than the Death Star. Well, it's it's the old Justice League thing, and you show how powerful your villain is by, by beating, beating up Superman. Superman yeah. So how do you show that the world devastators are magnificent? Well, they destroy the Star Destroyers. Yeah. So, and I actually really like that panel. I, I really like the panel of the Star Destroyer being eaten. Yeah, and it looks kind of cool, like it's dissolving. Mm. Or breaking up into matter. It, yeah. just, it looks cool. It really does look cool. I mean, it does play into what you were just talking about. It's just, let's up the ante in regards to super weapons. Yeah. So Death Star 2 in Jedi, World Devastators here, that planet destroyer in The Force Awakens. Mm. And you're, you're right, it does just feel like they have it to keep upping the ante on, on the the destructive power of the weapons that they have to beat. Yeah. But the bit where Darth Vader turns out to be Luke mm. is quite cool, and especially since it plays on Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, where he goes into the cave. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of really good stuff like that. Luke's plan seemed a little bit woolly to me Luke to me seems a bit like an edgy Final Fantasy character <laughs> what do you think like oh I'm all dark and brooding and yeah. I've got black nails now and the, the way to defeat the dark side is to join the dark side you don't understand Leia it's not a phase this is my life now I've joined the dark side <laughs> Luke put your My Chemical Romance t-shirt away <laughs> Yeah, so I get the I get the idea behind it because the big twist in it as well is that Luke's now turned to the dark side. Yeah, but it is a bit of a a silly plan. Hmm. I want to know why my dad turned to the dark side. Well, maybe dad was just turned to the dark side. Yeah. Well, there's that, that. I've seen that funny meme. I mean, that's an oxymoron if ever there was. <laughs> but um, that one that all the Skywalker kids turn to the dark side, except Leia, who just gets on with it. Yeah. Because Leia's a proper woman. I like that. I thought that was quite cool, because, you know, it's quite true. I, I do like the idea of Luke and Leia being linked to the Force, and people have retconned how Leia was able to survive the mind probe in Star Wars by being Force-sensitive, Force-latent. Right. I mean, that doesn't explain how Darth Vader didn't recognise her Force ability. undermining your character, though, when you say that the only reason she was strong enough to to go through the torture is because of the force it is because certainly in the original film that was never even on the table was it Leia resisted the mind probe in Star Wars because she's mentally capable she's Mm. mentally very strong and then yeah to retcon it later that well it's because she's force sensitive 
they are kind of just, yeah. Yeah. Because if if, you, if she's using the force to block Vader's mind probe, essentially like Rey does in The Force Awakens, yeah. um, Kylo Ren immediately recognises what she's doing, doesn't he? Mm. So why didn't Vader? So yeah, I, I prefer the Now that you've pointed it out, I do <laughs> prefer the idea that Leia is just strong. But I prefer the way Leia was handled in the films. Like It was never outright stated, really, that Leia was a Jedi. No, Force Awakens followed that, didn't it? Force Awakens followed the idea that, yeah, right, maybe Leia's got some latent Force ability, but she never bothered coding it. ignored it. Yeah, so, she just didn't do it with it. It was like, the bit in Empire, it's like, no, there's another, or, oh, you have a sister, perhaps she will. But the fact that they decide to state on every page that she's a Jedi now, oh, I'm married to a Jedi, mm. oh, I've got Jedi kids, and it feels like it's Yeah, when when did she suddenly decide to follow the Jedi path? Yeah, and not just that, but it's, it's she's kind of like an Apple user or a vegan. It's that she has to tell you she's a Jedi in every conversation. All the kinds of Apple users and vegans are available. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there for Apple users and okay, vegans who okay. listen to the show. Not Stere- all stere- of, stereotypically, stereotypically, allegedly. Not all of them are like that. <laughs> just all the ones you know. I'm just gonna bury myself into this. No, no, no. But yeah, stereotypically. Yes, that she, they do feel the need to point out that she's a latent Jedi princess. On, if you do get offended by any of the jokes we say, then perhaps you're listening to the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, yeah. Um, Han's line about Luke is really funny. If he's such a great Jedi, how come I have to keep risking? Yeah. That was funny. Mm. I, I did, genuinely did. Because this is a this is a, a series without many laughs. Yes. Which is one of the things that people often forget. That even The Empire Strikes Back is very funny. Mostly because of Han. Mostly because of Harrison Ford. Yeah, but C-3PO and R2-D2 have moments. Yeah. And Chewie. Mm. Chewie has moments as well. So there's funny bits in all of them. Yeah. yeah. But the, the humour is absent from Dark Empire. Mm. Completely. It is a bit of a tonal shift from yeah the films. Yes, it is. I don't disagree with that. Uh, General Medine, General Dudonna, and uh, not Madonna, and General Riken all make appearances in this story. Okay. Which are the three main generals from Star Wars Empire and Return of the Jedi. Right. It struck me as odd that Riken, Riken, General whatever, made it off Hoth. Mm. Because I thought the implication was a lot of rebels didn't make it off Hoth. Right. But, you know, because we don't see him again, but we don't see General Dodonna again. Mm. And he's alive at the end of episode four. So why we don't see him again in Empire Strikes Back, I, I don't know. I don't know whether the actor wasn't available or anything. I do like the slave one. Yeah. And that's flash I, like, I like the depiction of slave yeah. one. Nice bit of foreshadowing as well. Yeah. That, uh, that Boba Fett is going to be pursuing them. Which is... We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll though. get to that when we get to that. Um, would Leia and Han really be unaware of a huge bounty on the heads for killing Jabba after six years? Probably. Would they have really gone six years and nobody has come after them? So the rebels have intelligence to tell them what new warships are blowing up yeah. the Army, but not... But the... no one at any point has been on a planet where there's been a wanted poster yeah. for Leia and especially seen as Narshada. Narshada doesn't seem that far out of the way mm. surely somebody well, what about Han's old friends what about Mako and Shug Ninx have they never actually thought to get in touch with Han and say you do know there's a bounty on your wife right yeah it seemed a bit strange to me that six years 
nobody's they, they don't know this but I think you know what I think that is I think that's a leftover from the fact that this was only supposed to be originally be a year or so after Jedi right so I think that's a remnant from that okay because you can well does Han not still have a bounty on his head from no because Jabba's dead so yeah. Han's bounty was from Jabba with Jabba dead Han doesn't have a bounty anymore yes. but presumably this bounty is from Jabba's family mm. and it's on Leia and Han I mean technically it should be on Luke as well and but, Lando and Lando and, and well maybe they didn't know who Lando was Lando's if, a, if in, the, in the grand scheme of Star Wars Lando's a nobody isn't he no they didn't know They why would they know Lando Calrissian was in um, Jabba's palace He's in disguise, so they didn't know he was there in the first place. But so Leia was in disguise. Yeah, and then she was a bloody slave girl sat on Leia on they, Jabba's lap. They might not know that. I think it's I mean, kind of likely. If you're Jabba the Hutt, are you going to brag to your parents that you've got this new slave, actually? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite likely that Luke, Leia and Han were relatively well-known and Lando not. So I, I, I'd say Lando's well known, but maybe not known to have been there. Yeah, he is the owner of Bespin. Yeah, I know, but I don't. I don't think he will have been. They they may not necessarily have known he was there. Okay. So there's probably not a bounty on Lando's head. Is what I'm saying. And maybe with Luke, they probably thought going after no Jedi. Because <laughs> is how well known is it that Leia's Luke's sister? How well known is it that Darth Vader is Leia's dad? Right. It's not mentioned in this story no. at all, apart from in private between Luke and Han and Leia. Yeah, and it's, it's like, couldn't from a from a story standpoint, I could understand why Leia would want to keep that quiet. Well, Yoda, <coughs> uh, Bale, and Ben went to great efforts to keep the relation yeah so if you secret. think about it and then, then and then them two and the emperor all stood together having a jolly good chat which is exactly the opposite of everything the jedi's died to do well and so if you think about it then the only other people who know that vader is leia's father are dead mm. so maybe it's so did the jedi die in vain then if the emperor <laughs> found out about them anyway well darth vader found out about them Vader only found out about Leia when he was interrogated when he did, on the second Death Star. Mm. When he actually said, "Sister." So then, in that case, the the Palpatine didn't know about. So that. the Jedi Council, mm. Ben Yoda, yeah. Bail Organa, yeah. and all of Alderaan yeah. died in vain. All of Alderaan because the secret got revealed anyway. All of Alderaan won't have known who her parentage were. No, all of Alderaan wouldn't have known, but. The, Bail Organa did. Bail Organa definitely knew. So they all died in vain then, because yeah. the secret got outed anyway. Yeah. And they all turned to the dark side anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so all around blew up for nothing. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Tarkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. Uh, now Hutter, now Shadow, and Mako, along with Shug Ninx and various other people, would all be utilised in other EU novels. Right. All of this would play into other novels later on, particularly A.C. Crispin's Han Solo trilogy. Right, okay. Uh, and uh, uh, the story that they do later on with Shug Ninks and, and what's it, that they tell in the text pages, right. that is fleshed out in the novel. Okay. Where Han has to save her life and then she wants to marry him. Right. And Han's like, none of, none of that filth. <laughs> and off he goes. So all I that's do, fleshed out. I do love Star Wars names. Yeah. Because you can just write anything on a keyboard and call it a, a name. Do you think that's where some of them come from? Just do that. It's just. <laughs> I need to come up with a new name for this planet. <gasps> Fittigan. <laughs> oh, dear me. And that's their name. Shugninx. And Sala. Yeah, Sala, she's the one Han was going to marry. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's where the pacing's a bit off. You've got a page, though, that's like, well, how many panels is there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and loads of dialogue that you could really have explored by cutting down on one of the splash pages from the last issue. It's probably, but I don't, there are some times where cool action is better than exposition. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it's, it's not like and all the dialogue. There's a lot of exposition in this anyway. There is. The dialogue does fit where it goes. What didn't fit, did you think the caption boxes didn't work with the art and the story? It sometimes felt like the caption boxes were telling us stuff. Yeah that we really needed to know for the story that perhaps would have been better explained in the dialogue. Well, I thought the caption boxes were a bit... Naff? Maybe stiff isn't exactly the word. But they were either telling us things that we were seeing anywhere, or telling us things that we weren't seeing and and weren't necessary. Or they were telling us stuff that we kind of did need to know. Yeah. That should have been better placed in the dialogue or something. But yeah, but anyway, Anne Crispin's dialogue, uh, dialogue, Anne Crispin's novels, I can't see the Han Solo movie being better than them. Yeah. And she did an awful lot of really cool research to bring all this stuff from the comics into her novels. So she wasn't pretentious about it. Mm. So that's nice to know, isn't it? I suppose. As we've already discussed all the way through this, there is no reason this can't still stand in Force Awakens continuity. Remove the references to the kids, of which there aren't many. No. So they're easily ignored. Salah telling Leia that Han is fun, but a scoundrel who will break your heart. That totally fits in with The Force Awakens. Yeah. So there's like, this story could still stand. I think for it to work within The Force Awakens, though, they'd have to tone down the Princess Leia Jedi thing. Because she was very wasted in The Force Awakens. Yeah, Leia didn't have much to do in The Force Awakens. So it might not be that great to have a major of such importance in this to then downplay that massive. But you can film. maybe you can argue a case that she only stepped up here because her unborn child and her brother were at stake. Or she gave up on it after seeing what happened to Ben. Uh, or, or Luke. Yeah. You know, Luke's dillied with the dark side. Look what happened to him. Look what happened to Dad. Mm. Maybe Leia just basically went after this. I'm having nothing to do with this for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's entirely possible, isn't it? Uh, along those lines, Vimmer de Buda. Great name. <laughs> also fits as well. The Jedi Twilight novels by Michael Reeves were all about a Jedi who hid out in the bowels of Coruscant mm. and became a private detective for all my books after. Right, okay. So they were quite cute. I like them books. Um, Vimmer is hidden there as well. Right. Hidden under the Emperor's nose. Mm. So Vader wasn't that successful at wiping out all the, all the Jedi then, was he not? Uh, apparently not. No. Well, I think once they get past a certain age, he doesn't go near them anymore. Does he know? If he knows he can kill them because, you know, they're only younglings. <laughs> I think he could probably kill an old woman. I don't think he'd have any trouble with Vima de Boda or something. Vima de Boda, whatever her name is. Uh, Confrontation on the Smuggler's Moon is the title of uh, episode four. <laughs> Issue 4, sorry, not episode 4. An issue of Marvel's Star Wars saw Boba Fett escape from the maw of the Sarlacc. And that issue ended somewhat ambiguously. Um, He fell back in the Sarlacc at the end of it, but we didn't see see a burp or anything. So the implication. So was it him climbing out and then he falls back in comedically? Not again! (laughs) We get out, we have an adventure, and then he falls back. So close, but so far. So, uh, you know, so it kind of fits in with that if you want it to. And, uh, it, you know, if you squint a bit, mm. you can make this continuity work. It does seem like everybody wanted to bring Bob and Fett back. Which, he, do you think he's, he's as popular as he is because he looks cool despite being yeah, useless? Yeah, because he doesn't do anything. And even in this, he's useless. Yes. 
He's not a badass at all. He's a crap bounty hunter in this story. He just looks like a badass. Yeah, he misses well, his the, targets. He did a thing recently that he was supposed to be of much more importance. Was he? Yeah, it got someone, I think the guy in charge of all the merchandise, because he had to know about the story, yeah. uh, said that back when Star Wars was... Because it was a trilogy, yeah. but they turned the script for the first film into what we know as the trilogy. Yeah. So Boba Fett was going to be of much more importance in the second trilogy, but once the second trilogy fell flat, no Boba Fett anymore, so that's why they kill him off early in Jedi. So, so Boba Fett was supposed to play a bigger part in episodes 7, 8, and 9 in George yeah. Lucas' original outline, which I don't believe exists. Boba Fett was the primary antagonist in the second trilogy. I don't believe that But for a when second. the second trilogy fell flat, they killed him. I don't believe that at all. Boba Fett was created for Empire because he looked cool. Sweet. Okay. And he goes out like a punk. <laughs> and then he comes out the cell like, and then goes back in it. <laughs> in a comedy moment of, oh, I slipped. I can't live on the outside world anymore. <laughs> oh, there go my trousers. Oh, apple pie in the face. And then he's, he's crap in this as well. He is. I mean, Dengar and IG-88 are cooler in this. <laughs> I want to know where Bosk is. Oh, well, Bosk is cool. Bosk when you need him. He's the one who growls at the Empire dude, isn't he? Well, like the Empire dude slags him off. Yeah. We don't need their kind of scum. <laughs> and Bosk's like, who are you calling scum? I'll have you know, i got a death sentence on 12 <laughs> systems. My dad was Godzilla. <laughs> My mum was a tadpole. <laughs> Oh, I love that panel of the hut just falling. <laughs> yeah, that is brilliant. This opening sequence, this opening fight scene is again a really good Star Wars type chase fight, isn't it? Yeah. Han and Leia end up pushing a hut off one of those floaty things that they get around on because they've got no legs. Apparently. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I always think of that Clone Wars Jabba who has the southern accent. Really? Have you not seen him? No. I do declare. <laughs> You're like, why is a hot got a southern accent? Why is go George? What is what? <laughs> and you just like every planet has a south. That's, yeah, so, that's right. But yeah, when the hot falls off it, <laughs> bull shooter. And, and the balls. <laughs> These little arms. Yeah. like a dinosaur. <laughs> We should not laugh at Hutt's demise. That's a living, breathing creature. We should not mock it. I do have a question for you, right? Leia and Han have a huge bounty on their head for killing Jabba. Okay. Is Bobba going to get a huge bounty on his head for killing this hut here? <laughs> yes. Because this is Boba Fett's fault. Or is that collateral? Boba Fett's ro wrist rocket hits the floater, which yeah. knocks him off. So now Boba Fett has killed a hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> unless, like you say, it is just collateral damage. Yeah, is, is yeah. it like certain terms and conditions yeah. when it comes to a bounty? Yeah, because it, it reminded me as well as, as some of the more comical Star Wars fight scenes, like Ewoks being involved and yeah, stuff. Yeah. This, this is a comedy beat. We're laughing at Jabba, Jabba's mate dying here. We shouldn't really, because no. it's still a living, breathing creature. Uh, it's a hut. <laughs> the only good hut is a dead hut. Oh, come on! <laughs> None of, none of that filth. Uh, Lando notes that the world devastator self-destructs, which is a lovely bit of foreshadowing. Mm. That's really clever. I like that, because it doesn't spell out exactly what's going on. Yeah. So only later on, when R2 gets the plans from Luke, you know, same yeah. as what happened. See, people complain about the parallels in Force Awakens. They're all in this as well. Yeah. 
the, you know, the parallels to the earlier trilogy are all in this as well. That is a cool panel of Luke over the, the Empire's book. Yeah, yeah, some, some of the artwork is really good. And uh, the close-up of his eyes, mm. which is a bit Dracula. Well, that's Leia's eyes, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, yeah, it's Leia's eyes, no, it's still a bit Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. yeah, the close-up with the red. Mm. So I quite like that as well. Luke's really patronising to Han, though saying there are things here far beyond the comprehension of the mind of a space pirate which seems to go above and beyond his cover yeah you know that just seems to be insulting Han just for the sake of insulting Han <laughs> especially seeing as as Han's pointed out already if you're so cool why do I have to keep saving your ass mm. it's two you owe me junior so we must be at four by now yeah unless we're counting the carbon I think again the battle over Mon Calamari is brilliant the shots yep. of the TIE fighters exploding and all of that is really, really good. The new ships don't look that cool, do Why they? Why not? Slave 2 doesn't look that cool. No, Slave 2's not. not uh, right. I suppose the new ships are alright because they kind of look similar to the clone ships yeah. in Revenge of the Sith. So again, but tying into the prequels that haven't been made yet. Yeah, but, you know, the, the F-Wings in Return of the Jedi yeah. don't look as cool as an X-Wing. The A-Wings, do you mean? Or the B-Wings? No, the F-Wing's the one that I like that. That's a B-Wing. Is that a B-Wing? That's a B-Wing, yeah. I never got a B from it either. I think you should have called it a T-Wing. See, considering, like, you know, an X-Wing is in the shape of an X, yeah. and Y-Wing's yeah, a Y. No, I'm, I'm with you. A-Wing's an A. I always thought a B-Wing should be a T-Wing. Yeah, I, I used yeah. to look at that as a kid and go, how is that a B? <laughs> I get the A. I get the A-Wing. I get the X-Wing. <laughs> B? I like how we sat here making shapes with our hands. <laughs> in an audio medium. This is the X-Wing. <laughs> Yes, lovely listener, we're making shapes that <laughs> X-Wing, <laughs> T-Wing. <laughs> oh, genius, absolute genius. Uh, after a slow start, this is really picked up really well. Yeah. And the action sequences are really good, and Leia wielding a lightsaber is pretty cool. It does feel very similar to the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. The, with the, the space fight happening whilst Luke's fighting. Do you Emperor. not think this is Return of the Jedi with the Ewoks bled out of it? Because if you bleed the Ewoks out of Return of the Jedi and then take off that front piece where they rescue Han, Jedi's themes are actually quite dark. Yeah. Which is why there's probably a lot of slapstick and teddy bears in it. But the actual Whoa. Luke, Vader, Emperor bits are, are some of the darkest stuff that Star Wars ever did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Up until the fall of Anakin. Hmm. And I think I think he just may have gone a bit overboard with the lightness of the teddy bear. He, he wanted to make it more of a family thing, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but he's still got to deal with that whole Vader turn to the dark side and you killed all these people. And I think this is this is Jedi with the the teddy bear Ewoks bled. I out. suppose, but after a, a you know a, a bright and optimistic start and a very downbeat middle. You can need a bit of a jolly end, don't you? Yeah. Whereas, yeah, whereas this is bleak all the way through. The, the Emperor stuff and the Force stuff at the end is probably the strongest and best part yeah. of Jedi. Yes. Yes, it really is. Absolutely. Anyway, the text piece in the back of issue four was one of my favourites, which means you probably don't like it. <laughs> uh, I think I gave up on the text Oh, pieces. man! I loved all this stuff about the lightsabers and how they oh, were invented. Oh, I read the lightsaber stuff. Re re revealing where they came from. And then it moves on to the, the backstory of the dark side and the emperor has written a series of novels yeah with yeah. titles as the book of anger the weakness of inferiors <laughs> and before he died he had a third unpublished work the creation of monsters and i love the idea that palpatine's just got this this shelf of mind camp type boots that he wrote <laughs> they're actually just collections of poems and short stories <laughs> he's just misunderstood <laughs> 
everyone who I want. They don't appreciate me. <laughs> Fine then. If, if they're not going to listen to me, then I'm going to stay in hiding for six years. See how they like me then. <laughs> so his book is called The Weakness of Inferiors, but actually it's just a lot of bad poetry. <laughs> About how ruling a universe really takes its one toll. Of them, one of them's just his, his diary and his memoirs. <laughs> Darth Vader wouldn't listen to me again today. He said I'm not his real dad anyway, so I killed his real dad. <laughs> Told Anakin the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Don't think he got the subtext that I killed him. <laughs> Maybe the boy isn't as bright as I thought he was. <laughs> Got to have a fight with that little green pointy-eared bastard today. <laughs> Brilliant fun. <laughs> Ran away. Lol. <laughs> Lol so random. <laughs> oh, God. I want now a Palpatine EU novel that is just his bad poetry. <laughs> and there's bits where in the middle of briefings he'll start with one of his poems and anyone who doesn't laugh he forced electrocutes them. So to start off today's uh, uh, meeting I just want to read another, <laughs> you another, another poem from my book. This one's called <laughs> Darkness Inside My Cowl. All the, all the moths around the table going, oh Jesus, not again. <laughs> How the cloth rubs against my old wrinkled skin. The perfection of the clones watches me. How I despise who I will be. <laughs> oh, well done, sir. That was one of your best. <laughs> we all We also learn in the text piece. Palpatine is aware that Luke is aiding the Jedi and he's letting him so that he believes that he's playing Palpatine when the opposite is true. Right, okay. And at this point, doesn't it become double-cross, becomes triple-cross, <laughs> becomes I don't know what the hell we're doing now? Well, it's it's, it's going to make his next novel, his experience for his novel. <laughs> his next novel. After the success of that, he's going to make an experimental film. It's, it's, <laughs> it's five hours long and it's all shot in black and white. <laughs> It's all from the point of view of a stormtrooper. It's, it, it's a concept video about what the force looks like. <laughs> to him. Yeah. So it's just a black screen. <laughs> For six hours. <laughs> Every now and again you'll hear somebody breathing. Oh, da, 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 da. That's a nice little Sister. Tune, <laughs> My young apprentice. Darth Plagueis. <laughs> He's got another video of him coming up with a tragedy in Darth Plagueis the Wise. In fact, that's he's, his next novel. He's, he acts out every role himself in a film he wrote and produced. It's a one-man play. He's taking out on a tour of Coruscant, the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, a play by Ezru Palpatine, or whatever his first name he was. was. I think he was touring it, and he was going to play Alderaan and the Mos Eisley Spaceport, but the, he had to cancel those dates. Did you get the T-shirt? With all the tornades <laughs> on the back, best spin, Alderaan, and Alderaan crossed out. And <laughs> he said, Dantooine, and in brackets, where the hell's Dantooine? <laughs> Tatooine, I'm never going back there again. Uh, <laughs> Terrible in, crowd, in his, sand gets everywhere. In his diary, today I played Yavin, and then I found out the rebel base was there under my nose all along. <laughs> Boy, did I feel like an idiot. <laughs> oh, what a fool I am. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> uh, number five is called Emperor Reborn. 
the Jedi... That's his second album. <laughs> <laughs> Available on vinyl. <laughs> you can't appreciate it. No, no. <laughs> and when he gets done with his poetry, he plays his music. <laughs> Makes all the moths listen to his album. Why are we not writing robot chickens? This is this is my cowbell serenade. <laughs> ting, ting, ting. You've outdone yourself, Emperor. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant, satisfied. Oh, he's brilliant. got a concept album of what the force sounds like. <laughs> and if you play it in conjunction with his film, they work. They work seamlessly. Yeah, it's a, it's a masterful piece. It's, it's genius. Yeah. And then. You can read the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise <laughs> to the film as the scores played there's, there's and all three of them come together in this magnificent piece of art. There's a reason why it was a winner at the Cannes Festival. Yeah, the Cannes Festival. <laughs> <laughs> I much prefer the idea of a mo- Tatooine Festival. <laughs> The Tatooine Festival of Art. It's kind of like, uh, uh, what is it, Burning Man? Is it not more likely to be the Naboo Festival of Art? Oh, yeah, but... Um, Tatooine brings out the re- really weirder. <laughs> Tatooine's where David Lynch comes from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Whereas, as thank you, Naboo's where Michael Bay comes from. We don't want none of that, do we? Anyway, should we talk about issue number five? Uh, the Emperor here introduces us to Jedi holocrons, which right. are still around. Are they? The second season finale of Rebels focused on Darth Vader be after a Jedi holocron. Right, okay. And Darth Maul was after it, and Asuka was after it. Right. So Jedi holocrons are still part of EU continuity. Uh, the Emperor says he retrieved the holocron off a very old Jedi, now departed. Again, if we, you know, ignore the text piece, or, or rewrite it ever so slightly, this could easily be Darth Plagueis the Wise. Mm. You know, if we rewrite the words that are actually on the page <laughs> to make them fit my personal narrative... Well, I thought it was Plagueis. When I read no, the it's 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 Master Bodo Bass, isn't it? Bodo Bass, or is it Ulick Queldroma? Bodo Bassins. Yes, he's Bodo. A, a very Bodo, small Bodo from, uh, <laughs> with big feet from the Dark Shires. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Ulick Queldroma. Oh, they actually ended up making a comic about right. So all of this stuff here about the the four thousand years ago, the Jedi Ulick Queldroma. So you know, oh, that's pretty good. Again, if we ignore the kids in the Zarn novels, which are clearly consigned to the continuity dustbin thanks to The Force Awakens, then this child in Leia's belly could be Ben. And the Emperor, saying he can use the dark side to enter other people, not just his clones, could be a nice piece of foreshadowing for the future. Mm. Is he da- Is he Snoke? Is he Felicity Snoke? Or was he Smoke? What was his name? In Force Awakens, that Snoke. big guy. Is he Snoke? Is that, was that actually his name? Okay. Yeah. I, I quite like that. I, I guess what I'm saying is with a bit of creative continuity tinkering, we don't have to chuck all this out. Mm. With some of this can still work in, in continuity. It was the scene where Leia's talking to the Emperor was a bit weird. Why? Oh, help me get into bed. I can get inside you, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a bit uh, unfortunate, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah. Plus, it's a bit the, the Emperor... So the Emperor is a, is a, a force to be reckoned with. He's a dark presence throughout, force all, to be reckoned with. throughout all the films. Yeah. And here he is going, Help an old man into bed, Leia. Tuck me in. <laughs> Read me a bedtime story from one of my collections on the shelf. <laughs> from one of my own novels. <laughs> I 
feel like Dark Twilight and Coruscant tonight. If I was the Emperor, I'd be checking his cloning technology, because his cloned youthful body clearly has no penis. Yeah. And I don't think, if you're going to have a full frontal shot for your panel, yeah. which is very bad for you to do with a new character anyway, yes. don't have him spread open. Yeah. Oh, if you're not going to draw genitals, don't have him full no, frontal and open. Because you're looking at him going now, and why would you clone a body that doesn't have any genitals? Yeah. You'd be making him Ron Jeremy, wouldn't you? <laughs> if you could control your own clone body, <laughs> you know, you'd want an elephant tusk, wouldn't you? I, uh, so I agree with you, though. If you're but going he also to... has no toes, either. Well, there is that. <laughs> so the cloning process needs work, yeah. is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> he has a bum hole, though. He has a bum crack. Alright, okay. So that would be truly horrendous <laughs> if you had no toes, no bum hole, and no penis. Why would you want that body? <laughs> One of the great joys in life is pulling skin off your teeth. <laughs> off your teeth. Off your feet and taking a massive dump. Oh, and, and the thing that At you the same use. time? Yeah. <laughs> and the thing that you use your, your thing for. Is a, so, yeah, if you're going to do full frontal nudity, do full frontal nudity. Yeah. Or don't do it yeah. at all. Because that, that was just silly. Uh, speaking of silly, Han Solo is useless in this entire story. I like how he gets told that he's got a third child and he just doesn't care. Yeah, he's just not bothered, is he? <laughs> it's like, he goes through the same beats he did in the movies, revealing that once Jedi ends, Han Solo's story is done. Yeah. He's found it was redemption. done but after the first act. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, because he doesn't do anything for the rest of Return of the Jedi, does he? No. He just makes smart-ass comments and doesn't really contribute in any way. I tend to agree with the people that say Han wouldn't have stuck around after Jedi. Mm. He's, too, he's got too much wonderlust in him, hasn't he? Yeah. He's not going to be tied down. That's one of the things I did like about The Force Awakens, that Han and Leia tried to make it work and failed. He's a, a, a smuggler. Yeah. A, they were, an adventurer. Yeah, they were two different people from two different worlds. Um, Han was Leia's bad boy, says. Yeah. That's what he was. Because she, if you think about it, she's grown up on Alderaan with all these poncy dudes. And suddenly this guy shows up, it's a bit rough, a bit ready, a bit lurry, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> proper lad. Proper lad. Eh? <laughs> ah, kid. Uh, and so she's attracted to him, and then she quickly realises that, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. He's not for me. I think the Millennium Falcon has a tape player. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, the Millennium Falcon has an 8 track. <laughs> What, to go with a laser disc player yeah. in, the, in the rec room? Yeah. You have to plug R2-D2 in it to make it work. <laughs> uh, Luke Casu... The laser disc was the first appearance of Episode 4 A New Hope, wasn't it? Was it? Was it the laser disc release that changed it to Episode 4? Oh, I thought it got a cinema release with A New Hope on it. Right, okay. But I can't, I can't remember. It's, there's been that many different bloody versions of Star Wars. I can't tell anymore. Uh, Luke casually waiting for the Emperor in his throne room is really cool. I like that a lot. But Palpatine's offer to take over Luke's body so they can rule as one seemed a little bit of a rehash of Jedi. Mm. Join me together. I suppose, but they have that level of creepiness to it, I guess. Yeah, that he's taking over the body. And Timothy's own not playing ball kind of really guts certain elements of this story. The Emperor being after Leia's unborn child doesn't really make any sense when she's got two young children he could already go after. I suppose it's just more of a present threat. Yeah, um, unless he Maybe wants... he doesn't know that you have other two kids, but that's... maybe he can sense another alive. That's possible, or maybe he needs a newborn. So the other two aren't of any use to him at this time. I suppose. Because, you know... I... But surely, so, say he possesses... 
the the unborn child. Yeah. What what threat is an unborn child to Princess Leia at that point? Plus, without getting too controversial, there are certain steps you can take to making sure the Emperor isn't a threat. Yeah. Well... So it's not much of a threat, then? No. I, d- I didn't... I wasn't quite clear on why it had to be the unborn child. I wasn't quite clear why it's this mystical uh, quantum leap. Well, uh, other than the, the other two children didn't exist when Vich wrote this. Yeah. That's that's the real reason, isn't it? Uh, the text page in this is really good. There's a ton of ideas in this text page that would be later incorporated into other Star Wars EU works. So are these just concepts for further stories? Yeah, pretty much. All this Keldroma stuff, that would be followed upon. Was it Tales of the Jedi? Dark Horse. I don't know if Tom Veach wrote them or got credited for them or whatever. But, um... So there's, there's all of this Keldroma stuff was, was fleshed out by later on. And the letters page, which is pink... Which really, really does suit the uh, the the aesthetic that this comic is going for. Uh, reveals that issue one through three went back to a second print that came out the same day as issue five. So I'd, I'd actually forgotten what a big deal this was. Yeah, I'd forgotten how how big Dark Empire was when it came out. Because it is one of those things. Aliens put Dark Horse on the map. Mm. But this series made them a contender until Image came along. Dark Horse really gets a lot of criticism, criticism for just being the uh, the license publisher. But I guess they were a bit bigger than that back when they was first started out doing yeah. it. Yeah, well, they're not, they're not like IDW. Well, IDW have taken that throne now. Yeah, Dark Horse have got a bit more... I don't know, Dark Horse have suffered from losing Star Wars. Yeah, Dark Horse really... They were a big deal, weren't yeah. they? And now they're not... Yeah. They were, Much. A, they were a big deal because they had Sin City and mm-hmm. John Byrne's Next Men and Star Wars and Aliens and Robocop and all that stuff was good for them. Yeah. Predator. Predator series were good and now they, they don't. I don't what, know. I don't where know what did Next know. Men go after Dark Horse? Was it IDW? Yeah, it went to IDW to finish off and then it finished. So IDW did become Dark Horse then? Yeah, essentially. Well, John, I don't know why he didn't work with. with Dark Horse anymore, but anyway. Uh, last chapter's called The Fate of the Galaxy. Uh, the Emperor loses a hand mm. at the end of this story, because of course he does. Because that's what the Emperor does, isn't it? So Luke is handless at, at the end of this issue. Yeah. Because in one issue, it's like they make a big deal out of, oh, you've, you're missing the hand. Which, at first, I misread it, because I thought he'd rocket punched the gun. <laughs> so you just thought he was what's his name? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, so, if the Emperor and the Empire were building him a, sec- a new hand, that was better. Mm. After killing the Emperor, he doesn't get it back? No, he doesn't. Not in this story, anyway. I, would, I think he gets it back, you know, at some point. Because mm. uh, he doesn't go through the rest of the stories without a hand. And you'd think at some point he'd get it thingio as well. You'd think he'd uh, he'd get it modified and updated and, and stuff. But he never seems to. Yeah. He always just seems to have that, that same hand. The um, the prophecy from the elephant bloke in the holo, the hologram thing. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, it. The elephant bloke. It's a very poorly written prophecy. A brother and sister born to walk the skies. Like, well, who else could this be? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, as far as prophecies go that's very on the nose it is a little bit isn't it? he looks like the Vogons in fact I'm quite surprised that he <laughs> doesn't he he looks like yeah. the Vogons from it's like his guy so, so the Ben and Yoda and, and uh, Bale went through great lengths to keep Luke and Leia a secret hmm all the Emperor had to do was look on his holocron thing and then yeah. he'd know exactly who to get 
Yeah, but so, so, so what we're saying here is that the Emperor never actually looked at his holocrop to get the message from the Vorgon captain. Get the message from the Vorgon captain. I do like that massive Star Destroyer, though. Yeah. I think that's absolutely brilliant, because it's black. Because what do you do to one-up Darth Vader's personal Star Destroyer in mm. Empire? You make a bigger, blacker one. Yeah, and it all closes off quite darkly, doesn't it? I love that they're all wearing like big long black cloaks at this yeah, point. So they're all just like Darth Vader. It's the Star Wars equivalent of the Matrix. <laughs> and it's it's kind of neat seeing Luke and Leia clash, even if it's just for that one page. Mm. I like that it's Leia who comes and saves him. Yeah. But yeah, it does lead you down the idea that Leia is going to become force sensitive. Mm. Which ultimately, she kind of turns her back on. I got very, very taken out of the story when the final battle just turns into a bunch of people looking at each other. Yeah. Because there's a bit in The Force Awakens that I always find a bit funny. It's the bit where Kylo is interrogating Rey. And it's once you get rid of all the sound effects, and when you step back and look at it, it's Kylo twisting his hands about and Rey stirring at him Mm. for about two minutes. Mm. So that's essentially what this is. They decide, they beat the Emperor by thinking really, really hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and this, that's not a very satisfying climax. No. No, it's not. And then it just ends. Yeah. Which we've kind of criticised. But again, back when this did this, this wasn't being done. Mm. So we'll let this one go because of that. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's not... It's satisfying to be a last issue or a, a, the ending to a last issue? Um, I, I think it, it's bizarre and unusual for a Star Wars story. Mm. It's very definitely unusual. It's a lot darker than the movies. The darkness is reflected in the colour palette. And the art, whilst great with the technology in Starships, isn't quite as good with the actors' likenesses. The likenesses started off... Okay. okay, but deteriorated throughout the series. Yeah, well, I, I, I would argue that. I think Cam Kennedy keeps the characters looking consistent. Yeah, but not t- the consistently to the actors. No. So you can always tell who's who. Yeah, which, which I don't mind, because Marvel's series had that problem as well at the beginning. Yeah. There were, you know, Han Solo didn't look like Harrison Ford, but you could tell that it was Han Solo. Yeah. And, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, the problems I have with this are all script-based. I mean, it starts really slowly, and then it builds up really well from issue three onwards, but the ending's really rushed. Mm. I don't think there's any getting away from that. There's no reconciliation between Luke and Han. Yeah. They're at each other's throats through most of the story, and Luke has spent most of this off on his own, hasn't he? Mm. He's not really been part of... The, I mean, he, and when you actually start thinking about it, how much time... In Star Wars, Empire and Jedi, do Luke and Han actually spend together? Yeah. The red on the Death Star. And that's pretty much it. They split up in the Death Star. Yeah. And then they, they're not together for most of Empire. Well, he rescues in the beginning, and that's it. Yeah. And then Jedi, they turn it around, Luke rescues Han, and then they're not together. Yeah. So, I suppose it's, it's following the films in that in that case, I suppose. Um, the idea of him wanting to know his father is more... Sorry, more is a good one. And it's nice to see Leia have a very proactive part, but there are missed opportunities. The Marvel series never explored what being Vader's child meant to Leia, and this skirts around that as well, doesn't it? 
again, like we were talking about earlier on, I have no idea what if the rest of the universe knows that Leia is Vader's daughter. Yeah. And if they did know that, would they trust her in a position of power? No. Think about that for a second. So, wait a minute, you've just got rid of Vader and the Emperor, but now we're going to let Vader's daughter rule us. So you could understand why she'd probably want to keep that a secret. I suppose, And yeah. not have anybody know about it. I always did feel that Leia probably didn't make her peace with it. Leia mm. probably couldn't handle it. I'd Luke got to see him turn back to the light side at the end, but Leia didn't. Leia's yeah. overbiding memory of Darth Vader is he blew up a goddamn planet. Yeah. So I I want a line in episode 8. I still want this line where Leia says to Luke, you forgave him, I never did. Mm. And again, maybe that would explain well, why again, she didn't it's that whole follow the force. Father bond, father-son bond thing, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas Leia had nothing really to do with him. But of course, she, she knew from the start. She, she remembered her mother quite well. Yes, she remembered mum, yeah. who died as she was being born. But Leia's got a fantastic mind, as we've already established. Yeah, yeah. So, Being so, so force sensitive, she remembered yeah. everything. Well, strong in the force, it would explain why she never wanted to learn the force. Yeah, because Luke wanted to know what exactly about the dark side. Mm. Whereas Leia's just like, I don't need to know anything. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. Having Han and Leia, Han and Leia, having Han and Luke be at each other's throats is also a misstep. But as we said, Han doesn't really do much. No. He gets them into trouble, he gets them out of trouble, he flies them in and Falcon, he says something smart. There's not really a lot of character growth for him here, is there? It's, he's just pretty much the same as he was in Return of the Jedi. And also, like Jedi, most of the story beats come from that. Yeah. When we're going through this. A Skywalker must lead another Skywalker away from the dark side to stop the Emperor. That's Return of the Jedi. Mm. Isn't it? All that being said... I think this is just dark and different enough to justify its existence. Especially in a post-Force Awakens world. Yeah. And you can, as we've gone through it and we've talked about this, you can twist the continuity quite nicely with some minor editing to make it fit in the post-Force Awakens world. Hmm. Dark Empire 2, not so much. Right. As it as the story just carries on and the kids are playing more and more of an important part because by that time Vich is a world she's got three children. Yeah. As opposed to the one that he only originally intended. But it's also an enjoyable read, isn't it? It, it yeah, it's a very experimental but flawed sequel. Yeah, it's it's not prime Star Wars. Well it benefits from being a, a comic sequel rather than a film sequel. Yeah. It's not a complete write off. No. There's a lot to recommend about it. Yes. If you're in the mood for it. Mm. In there. I, I, do you know, I, as I said at the beginning of the show, top of the show, bringing it all back together for the ending. Right. It's like we planned this mm. shit, it? I wasn't really happy with this when I read it in 91, 92. Right. But reading it again for this, which I think is the first time I've reread it since it came out. Yeah. Well, I read it a few years ago, and the only thing I could remember from it is Luke turned to the dark side and Boba Fett came back. Yeah. So, but it's, it, I think it holds, it's entertaining. It's, it does the job, yeah. it entertains you, it keeps you going. And buying these was an event. I loved buying all six of these. Right. That was more interesting to me than actually buying, reading the story at that point. Star Wars was back. Yeah. That was, and back in comic form. Mm. That was what was exciting about it. I guess it's just not that important anymore since you can't get rid of Star Wars. No, anymore. so that's the thing, isn't it? Like, well, like you've never not had a Star Wars, mm. it's always been around in some form or another. Yeah. So, Dark Empire was incredibly successful for Dark Horse, and as with any successful endeavour in the entertainment industry, it led to two sequels Dark Empire 2 
was another six-issue series actually set up in the text piece for issue six. Luke suspects that Palpatine had other clone factories, and even if he doesn't, anyone adept in the dark side can proceed with Palpatine's battle plan. The Jedi Holocron also offers hints as to what the future holds, plus they encountered another Jedi in Vima de Boda, so others may be out there. The problem with this, what really lets it down, is there is no clear ending, is there? No. It just stops. And some people complain that with The Force Awakens, Star Wars has gone from being a story with a definitive end to now just being this continuing and endless narrative. But it started here. Yeah. started with Dark Empire and with Zahn's book. Star Wars is now a never-ending story. But there is a difference between having films that don't end and having comics that don't end. Yeah. You can have a continuing story told through comics because that's the best thing about comics media. Yeah. Well, I wonder if Vich planned on this being like a six-issue miniseries every year. In his mind, I wonder if he didn't plan on Star Wars becoming the what Dark Horse made it into, yeah. which was tons of different titles, if they just kept it as Dark Empire every six months, a new Dark Empire every year, sorry, it ran for six months, it wasn't a monthly book, mm. I wonder how long you would have carried this on for. Because Empire's End is only two issues, and it ends with a text piece where he wraps up the story. Right. And you're like, what? And according to him, that was Lucasfilm that made him do that. Okay. So, maybe they got cold feet about how Dark, dark Empire was getting. Yeah. I don't know. Alright, we're done. Uh, yeah? Alright, next time on our all new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we're going to do our tribute to Darwin Cook mm-hmm. as we cover his and Tim Sale's Superman miniseries, Kryptonite. That'll be coming your way real soon. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. We did. And we'll, well, I did. Yeah? Yeah, sorry. It was nice to be back, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it was nice to be back. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Bye bye. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. If you wish to buy stuff from Amazon, why not do it through the twotruefreaks.com link, which leaves a couple of pennies in our tip jar. The music used in Hey Kids Comics is used to underscore the synopsis so they're not quite as boring as you just listening to me talk. Michael and Andrew can be reached through Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Why not join us so we can talk about funny books together? Correspondence to the show generally can be sent to heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. Thank you.